Welcome, everybody, joining us on stream and everybody listening to another edition of the Gems and Juice podcast. Y'all, we back at it. Um, of course, a lot to go over, a lot to talk about. Um, we're still kind of reacting to the George Floyd situation and everything going around on around it. So we've assembled a a great uh, meeting of black minds today for you. <laughs> uh, I myself, Ryan Rocket, joined as always by my boy Figgy Fig himself, man. First off, how you doing, bro? How you holding up? Man, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm kind of in a good mood today. So um, in light of the whole George Floyd thing, I did some research and I actually listened to some of his music. And um, he was pretty talented, man. He was, I, I ain't gonna say he was the next star or anything like that, but I enjoyed listening to, to uh, some of his DJ Screw freestyles. Okay. So in light of that, I decided to go to, go to the Screw shop. Oh, nice. Okay, all right. So <laughs> I, I purchased this uh, mixtape. So this one is called uh, Chapter 349 Funky Ride. So it got um, it got Outcast on here, Brandy, and it's all screwed up. <laughs> so um, and then they also threw in the free one. Oh, nice. Because, yeah. So it said free, free. Got got mislabeled. So I guess they just threw that in. <laughs> just That's because. dope, man. All yeah, right. So shout out to the uh, Screw Shop, man. I'm not sure who's working there right now, but um, whoever it is, man, I appreciate the love, man. I love supporting independent businesses. And uh, from my understanding, I think all of this is uh, what keep DJ Screw legacy alive. So all the money go to his family, his foundation, you know, the business and all that stuff. So, you know, I had no problem with actually purchasing this CD. <laughs> so that's dope, man. Never you get that's a good. chance, man. Anybody who listening, just you know, just if you love DJ Screw, man, go on the website and purchase some. That's a cool way to support, man. I've been thinking about uh, what I could do myself because, uh, of course, as everybody else, I've been looking at the GoFundMe. The GoFundMe raised a lot of money for George Floyd. So I've been thinking of other ways I can support, you know, people close to him. And that's actually a good way, man, going to the screw shop, getting something. Yeah. Um, and and uh, another thing about the DJ, DJ Screw thing, I, I was a big Screw fan, but I never put together that big Floyd was George Floyd. You know, because a lot uh, a lot of people came through on screw tapes. Uh, he would have anybody who like you could request a whole tape made for you and you could rap over it. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't just the members like Big Pokey and ESG on there. It was a lot of people who knew him, were cool with him, paid for some time and he would let everybody come through. So, yeah, I never put together. But that was dope, man. The, the fact that he was on a screw tapes and you can listen to it and see what he was doing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good way to support. I might stop by there myself and pick up a few. I want to get the actual gray tape, man. I don't know if they still have that, uh, okay. but I want the gray tape, even though I have no tape player, just to have the collectible. <laughs> to have it, it's a collector's yeah. item. You don't know what you, you know, <laughs> it'll, it'll be messing around and be in the Smithsonian or something like that in, in 50 years. You never know. 
Yes, one day, one day. And also, we have a lady with the Hip Hop Museum of Houston coming on, too. So maybe we could talk her into uh, oh, Ashley, Ashley, uh, she couldn't make it today. Oh, she can't make it? Yeah, I meant to tell you. Yeah, she couldn't make it. Something. That's all on. good. That's yeah. all, Grady. We'll try to get her on next week. That's all good. And we also have, again, a uh, another legendary voice in the community. Um, also, former Houston Texans player. Uh, Wade Smith with his fancy background that I'm envious of because it looks so professionally produced and I'm have a blank wall against mine. So yeah, <laughs> Wade, hey, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm glad we could get get on here and, and chop up what's going on in, in the world today. What's going on in, in the city of Houston and um, things we can do going forward to to better things for 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 everybody. And so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to get into this, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's just start there, man. Um, me and Figgy talked last week about our initial reactions to the murder of George Floyd and everything that was going on from the protesting, the so-called looting and rioting and all that stuff and the outrage about everything. Uh, but I want to get your take on it now. So, Wade, what, what were your thoughts on uh, in, initially seeing that video with George Floyd and the cops? And also, what did you think of the the reaction around the sports world, in particular the NFL's reaction to it? Uh, so my initial reaction was um, of anger, frustration. Um, um, it was it was another it was another uh, unarmed black man killed on camera, um, and it was it was another one along a long line of of people in the very recent future that. The same thing happened to Marta Aubrey happened a few months earlier. Um, that whole situation was was so disappointing and, and angering and frustrating because the the guys involved didn't get charged and, and the, there was an investigation done and there was nothing charged until the video got out. And then all of a sudden when the outrage came, then all of a sudden the policing started. A very, a very frustrating situation because without any video evidence, nothing would have came of that. And that family would have had to continue to go along in life knowing or feeling that something went wrong with their with their their son or their family member and them passing away or being killed and nothing, you know, no justice coming from it. And so it was another situation with the same thing with George Floyd. It's like there were people standing around telling the police officer to stop. He's telling the police officer he can't breathe. It seemed like to me, and I'm not a police officer, but it seemed like to me with, with what you've seen in the past um, um, with Eric Garner's situations like that, where he said he couldn't breathe, he, they put him in a chokehold and he ends up dying. If I'm a police officer, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, um, I'm, I'm dealing with the possibility of going to prison or anything like that. So it seemed like when for him to be on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, I mean, there was no humanity in that, in that police officer. And so, I mean, it was just like, it was a cowardly act and it was cowardly by the rest of his, 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 his partners because they didn't do anything to stop it and they helped. And so you have all these people standing around trying not to be disrespectful or get shot or something himself by intervening, but at the same time, having that despair of, you know, stop, you know, leave him alone. He can't breathe. He's taking, but, but nothing happened and nothing happening. And so um, by him, you know, by the murder happening in front of us and then in front of those people and then nothing being charged for days. 
um, you just knew that it was bound to happen. You you knew that what has happened to this point is bound to happen because after a while, people get fed up. And so you see in, this, in the sports world, you've had various guys that have spoken out on police brutality and systematic, systematic oppression and racial injustices in this country for the longest, Kaepernick, um, you know, Eric Reed, Michael Thomas, Kenny Stills, guys like that, Arian Foster, they've been speaking out on this for years. And, you know, once it becomes enough, enough, and enough is enough, then you, now you have um, a lot more voices coming out and, and holding people accountable and holding people responsible for what, what's happening and, and, and demanding that they make a change and demanding that they do something about it. And so you've seen a lot of, you've seen a lot of people handle things graciously and with empathy and with, um, with sincere, what it comes across as sincere want to make a change. And then you've seen people draw lines in the sand and say, no, nah, the hell with it. Like, you know, George Floyd was a bad person. So why are we so up in arms about him? Or then you start the what about is, and why, why are you not worried about, um, you know, people getting killed in Chicago every day? Like, listen, Criminals are criminals. People, people rob people, people steal from people, people kill people every day. Those people get locked up and put in jail, right? Well, a police officer is a public servant and a police officer gets paid by the citizens. And so when you're killing unarmed citizens, uh, you're gonna have a problem with that. And then when those unarmed citizens look like you and you keep seeing it and you're not seeing any justice come from it, you can have a problem with that. So, you know, when you hear and you see that whataboutism and all that type of stuff like, it, it shows a complete lack of care, empathy, and it shows a, a, a great deal of ignorance because if you paid any attention at all, you know that there's a multitude of programs that people do each and every day to try to fight against the systematic uh, injustices and, and oppression that goes on in the black and brown communities. That That's it, I mean, the Wade Smith Foundation 99% of the schools that we go to are Title I schools. These are black and brown schools. When I go see these kids, these are good kids, but they don't have the same opportunities as other kids have in this country. And it starts there, it starts with education. And so um, it just, like I said, when when people, the first thing they say is, I don't, I'm tired of hearing about it. Well, if you're tired of hearing about it, imagine how tired you would be of living it. You know what I mean? And so if you can, if you can look at it that way, then I think you you might say, you know, I need to take a step back because um, you just, to me, if, if you're just showing a, a complete lack of empathy and, and humanity. If you would just completely just draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, hey, he was a bad person, you know, whatever, whatever, and start pointing the, the finger in different directions and not holding police officers accountable for their actions and holding systems that are in place accountable for their actions. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of because I was I was watching this old Chappelle stand up too. I think a clip is circulating on Twitter about how uh, it was a wake up call at that time for white people who didn't realize that, you know, black people live through this and this kind of thing happens to us. So I think that's part of the reason why, because me and Figgy were kind of talking and our initial like being black, you're disgusted, but you're not really surprised. Right. Because it's been going on for so long. But that video being put out there like it was, a lot of white people were just completely shocked and appalled because they could never imagine something like that happening to, to them, you know. So I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's like, wow, you know, 
cops were actually beating you for no reason and, and kind of terrorizing you at times and nothing's being done. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, so what do you think about the reaction uh, as far as sports in the NFL? Um, I know it's been said that a lot of these organizations look kind of hypocritical because they're making these statements. I think it's gotten a little exploitive myself um, for some people who are just looking to make any statements look good in front of PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NFL in particular is being called, uh, certain NFL teams have been called hypocritical um, for their stance on this because they're making these things that sound heartfelt, but you know, they didn't talk to Kaepernick and the 49ers, they got rid of him and, and not a lot of stuff going on. So what was your reaction on the NFL's take and in particular certain teams who have been accused of discrimination and had a certain comments that were kind of odd before? So the problem with the NFL is that their initial statement was very bland. It was very generic. They didn't take a stand for black lives or they didn't take a stand for completely denouncing um, the atrocities that, that go on all too often in this country when it comes to the way police interact with, with citizens. And so once they did that, it's like, oh, it's here you go again, same old, same old. You're just saying the bare minimum just so you can get past the situation and just move on to, to, to playing ball. And the problem with for them is that in this situation, people have got to the point where they're fed up. And so there was no, hey, this is going to be a day-long protest or two days and, and people are going to move on and go back to it. Like, you got to think about the way the world works right now. It's always that 24-hour news cycle. This ain't this ain't been a 24-hour deal. You had the pandemic that was, you know, you know, a topic that was hot you know, day in and day out for for weeks, weeks and weeks, right? Um, this is going to be a similar scenario. And with the pandemic, things had to get done and things had to change. And and that's what I think you're seeing right now with uh, with uh, the the murder of George Floyd and just talking about black lives matter. Like the fact that you've having so many um, corporate entities and just white people in general saying those words out loud or typing those words out, black lives matter. Um, something that would have never happened three years ago. Like you, it was almost like you were looked at like you were part of a terrorist group. If you, if you supported Black Lives Matters, which People is calling it that, which is crazy when you think about it, but it was like, well, actually, it's not crazy, but it's it's crazy that the narrative got shifted so much that because when you say the term Black Lives Matter, it makes you so up in arms and so upset that you have to create other hashtags just to combat it. All lives matter. Blue lives matter. Like, come on, bro. Like, and, and there's there's so many different uh, analogies that people try to use to get them to understand why the term black lives matter was done and people that are listening, well, they, they'll, they'll be like, okay, I get it. And people that don't want to hear it, they just gonna, they're going to stick, you know, stick by their guns. But when it comes to the NFL back to that, like it got to the point where enough players were fed up that they, they put the NFL in a position that they had to take a stand when they came out with that video where you had, you had 
not this year's MVP, but the year before his MVP, but the MVP of the Super Bowl. Like Pat Mahomes is on the video. Sean Watts is on the video. You you got some of your up and coming or your primetime stars in the NFL speaking up on, for this cause. It's not like Cal Colin Kaepernick because Colin Kaepernick at that time was a backup quarterback. You know what I mean? So when yeah. you have – and that's that's another reason why – you know, so many people that have been talking about Black Lives Matters for so long is saying that you need, um, you know, you need franchise quarterbacks in the league that are white to be champion in this cause for people to take it seriously because because it holds that much more weight. And that in itself just lets you know that the the system is is jacked up. If you need to see if you have to have a white face to say it in order for it to be acknowledged, inherently the system is flawed. Right. And so um, I think that's why people were so upset when Drew Brees came out with his comments, because it was like, listen, Drew, we understand that you would always stand for the flag. There's nothing wrong with you saying that you would always stand for the flag. But at this moment and for the past four or five years, guys have been saying this kneeling protest had nothing to do with disrespecting the flag and disrespecting the military. It had to do with. Um, bringing awareness to the fact of the systematic oppression and systematic racism that goes on in the country and police brutality, police brutality against black and brown um, skinned people. Like, this is what it's about for you to say it's disrespectful. It's basically just shitting on that entire movement and that entire thought process. And then when you think about it, that Colin Kaepernick asked or, or had a discussion with a military member um, that was a former NFL guy to say, do it this way. Cause now you're still showing respect for the military and you're still showing risk. Cause he was sitting there first by him taking a knee. It's you're showing respect for those that have, have bled for this country, whose lives that were lost for this country. But at the same time, acknowledging the fact that you're not standing because the United States of America isn't holding up to his ideals. And so for Drew Brees, the first thing to come out of his mouth to say is disrespectful. I'll never support anything that's disrespectful to the flag. When we have this conversation going on, it's like you completely missed the point. You completely changed the you changed the topic to just me when you're a leader. Like Drew Brees is a leader of his team and you can't be a leader. And it was funny. I'm, 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 and I, I don't I don't know if Bill O'Brien got this quote himself or, or somebody said the quote. Uh, and I can't remember who if it was if it was if it was George Bush or if it was Barack Obama, but the quote was um, a leader that shows a lack of empathy or a, a leader that has no empathy is horrendous or horrific. You yeah. know what I mean? And so he's a leader and you showing no empathy at that moment. That's horrific. And so he had to, because of that, he had to check himself. He got checked by his teammates. He got checked by um, fans. He got checked by media, but at the end of the day, if he wants to be a leader of this team, he's going to have to show empathy or he's going to be a horrendous leader. And he's always prided himself on being a great leader. And so, um, yeah, just Drew Brees had a great opportunity at first to knock it out of the park. He didn't like Bill O'Brien had an opportunity. He knocked his out of the park. Yeah. I was very surprised at how, how well of a job he did addressing the issues. But the difference between the two, if you want to compare them, is you can tell Bill O'Brien's made a concerted effort to seek out African-American dudes that he knew that could communicate to him their experience and so, and way they see things. And he took in their perspective and then he made it his own and then communicated it out to the world. Whereas Drew Brees, who has plenty of opportunities to do the same thing, did not. The first thing he did was talking about me. And 
And uh, that was that was a, a, a terrible mistake on his part. And so now he he, he decided to apologize for it. And I think guys are forgiving him. And he came out with a statement going against President Trump. Yeah, was significant. Um, and 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 here we are when it comes to that situation in the NFL. But the NFL, you know, Roger Goodell said on the video and said Black Lives Matter. Like that's progress. You know what I mean? They're going to have to follow up and finish what they start, but that's progress. You know, there are, there are positive things that are coming from this, uh, this entire scenario and this entire tragic event and series of events, but there is positive things coming from it. And so that's something to kind of, to, to have hope in, in, in a light kind of at the end of the tunnel. How do you feel about the, um, the NFL teams that are coming out saying black lives matter and, we support you guys because I see a lot of people, uh, I guess they're kind of upset that the NFL or NFL teams are doing that for the simple fact that nobody looked at Colin Kaepernick at all, that he was pretty much black ball. How do you feel about teams that are coming out like that? Well, it's, it's two ways to look at it, but I think initially my first thought is, all right, people are going to be mad at the NFL because they had the ample opportunity to do these same things years ago. And anytime you've been, I mean, it could be talking about whatever you're talking about. We could be talking about, man, I told you that so-and-so thing was going to happen. And if you keep telling something to somebody and they don't listen to you and they're not trying to hear you. And then finally four or five years later, after multiple other people have been killed in the process, and now they finally, you know, stand with you, you're still going to have that hurt and holding on to that frustration for the simple fact that they didn't acknowledge you when you've been screaming it from the top of buildings that you know black lives matter um and then the whole uh, the whole idea of them not acknowledging Colin Kaepernick part of that has to do with the fact of just liability like they had a, a straight up lawsuit there was a settlement so anything that they acknowledge on their behalf is going to open themselves up to I'm sure further uh litigation or issues and so at the end of the day they're a business and so they're going to they're going to cover their own ass. And so that part of it doesn't surprise me that they didn't mention him by name. They mentioned everybody else that either is still playing in the league or they've mentioned, you know, guys that, um, you know, like Eric Reed, who is a free agent right now, he still has the eligibility to play in the league, as does Kaepernick. But, you know, Kaepernick and the NFL are almost like mortal enemies. And I'm to the point right now where I'm like, I think it's better for the cause almost for Kaepernick to not be part of the league because once you're part of, it's almost like if you're part of the league, you are an employee. And so somebody is your boss and they have the ability to dictate what you say or do to a certain extent. But if he's an outside of that, under that umbrella, now they have to treat him as an ally or a partner if they're going to go forward and do anything pushing towards, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and just pushing towards reform in general, what's going on in the country today. And so, you know, people that are upset about the fact that the NFL is doing, I completely understand it. I get why. But I do think that you're going to have to be cautiously optimistic that they're going to put action behind their words. Because at the end of the day, nobody knows somebody's heart. Somebody could do, somebody could be the best giver and be at the right places and say all the right things and come off so genuine and 
can't stand you and hate your guts the entire time. But at the end of the day, it don't matter because that's something they got to take up with God. That's something they got to take up with themselves. You can't control how people truly feel on the inside. But if they're doing things that are helping to push education or put your push your community along or or forcing change to where it makes life better for a multitude of people, then I don't care about their true feelings. You know what I mean? That part of it doesn't matter. You would hope that they they fully get it and they're changed from the inside because if you're changed from the inside, the likelihood that whatever comes out of you is going to be positive, is good, goes up tremendously. But you can't hold on to that hurt and you can't hold on to that yeah, yeah, but why didn't you do it sooner mentality for too long? You can hold on to it for a little bit and see if they're actually putting action behind their words. But once they start doing stuff, you got to you got to leave that alone because I don't care who you are. If I do, if I it's almost like think about like when uh, somebody's in a marriage and somebody cheats on the other person. Right. And so but they stay together. And so the person that cheated they they stay with the person that they cheated on and then for the rest of their lives they do good by their spouse right but if every time you do good by you keep doing good by your spouse but your spouse keeps reminding you yeah but remember when you did this remember when you did this i can't believe you did this the likelihood of them continuing to do right by you drops them it, it diminishes tremendously and also the likelihood of them just walking away from the situation altogether occurs because there's like I, I can't live my life if I'm always trying to um you're always talking down on me as of a, on a mistake that I made in the past NFL made mistakes a lot of these professional leagues a lot of people made mistakes initially with the with the protest and with with the Kaepernick situation and him kneeling a lot of people made mistakes on that but you have to give them an opportunity to atone for their mistakes and I think that's that's something that we all need to keep in mind when we're communicating and trying to gain our allies in this, this fight. That's a good point because it actually dials back a little bit to the discussion we had last time we had you on a podcast, Wade, um, when Deshaun Watson made the comments about uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky being drafted ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And, and you said that organizations will always get behind the guy will usually get behind the guy who looks like them who they think acts like them first. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to why they've had so many problems with diversity in the front offices, why they have to keep remixing the Rooney rule because it's not working. Mm-hmm. So that's where I will, I will look to see if they're being genuine or not. Um, we have to see more diverse faces in higher positions in the NFL. And if they actually stick to doing that, then I'll be like, okay, you were sincere because anybody can put out a statement. Anybody can make a graphic on social media. It doesn't take much to do any. And look, these are billion dollar organizations. Anybody can make a donation. Mm-hmm. But if, if you actually put words to action and do things to uh, uh, promote black people or people of color, period, in your organizations, that's where you see the real change. And that's where I'm looking at, man. I'll, I'll give you a, a few seasons. If we don't see anything change and I'll be like, OK, it was all lip service. But yeah, we yeah. got to give it time to, to see. That's that's the other thing that kind of bothered me a little bit. I saw an article on Twitter pretty much showing all the big time companies that were pretty much saying, you know, we're with you, black people, Black Lives Matter, all this other stuff. But most of their top employees or the people that was high on the list were white people. Yep. 
and it was I don't know it was it it kind of hurt a little bit because it's like wow like you you really can't find a black person that could do that same thing I know it's people out there black people out there that could do the same thing they're doing so it 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 kind of hurt a little bit but I that's the type of change I want to see too in general I want to see them give more black people a chance to do stuff that's the same thing with radio um, it's not yeah. a lot of black people in sports talk radio right and it's 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 awful and you know when I look around I know for a fact that it's is black people that could do the same thing that white people are doing that are not former athletes yep so um yeah that's the type of change I want to see too man I want like it's cool to make a post but I want to see more of a change like that I want you to um, get more people of color in those big time positions as well, or at least let them get a chance. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's all about getting a legitimate opportunity to hold certain positions in companies or getting legit opportunities to to get certain jobs and placements and just legit opportunities to do certain things. Because listen, Throughout this whole ordeal, I see stuff on Twitter and I hear people talk about that, you know, they want, you know, people, people, black folks just want people to feel sorry for them and give them things. Nah, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm very happy that I am who I am. I'm very happy that I'm a black man and I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish. Um, I've had opportunities that were open to me because I was able to play a game at a very, very high level. And then the other parts of my personality has afforded me other opportunities that other people that look like me that weren't as talented as me in in sports have gotten. And so it's like, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to respect us as men and women and as as just human beings on this earth, earth and give legitimate opportunities so that we can earn them. Because I don't care how hard you work. If you and, and that's very difficult for me to say because I've always lived by the mindset that if you work hard enough, you can get whatever you want, whatever you want in life. But that's actually not true. You know what I mean? That based on the way that the system is set up, that's not true because there's so many decision makers that, like Ryan was talking about a minute ago, there's a lot of decision makers in professional sports in the NFL that do not look like us and come from backgrounds that are completely different than us. And not a lot of, not a, there's a bunch of them that didn't earn their spots. There's a bunch of them that were given their spots because their parents allowed for them, their parents earned those spots, but then those parents earned those spots because they had a leg up in their opportunity to do things. There was not black people that had an opportunity to own anything. When you go back in the history of, of this, this country, they didn't have opportunities to own anything. So if you can't own anything in the, you know, the, the, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, you can't own anything without um, it getting destroyed, talking about Black Wall Street, or, or you, own, you can't own anything in certain areas of town, town based off of redlining and things like that the chances of you progressing and working hard and working through the ranks to where you could actually become a boss and then help other people to look like you, the, the chances of doing that is so much harder and so much slimmer that that's why you don't see the diversity. And so it, that's why that white people and people in power have to take it upon themselves to make, they have to make a concerted effort to change that. 
because the way things are put in place, it can't you can't have the natural secession of I'm I'm the granddad, you know, the patriarch of this this family. And I've had this company in my family for 55 years and now I'm passing it down to my sons and my grandsons and so on and so forth. And then they're branching off and opening up their other businesses. And so it's a trickle down effect, you know, when you, when, when you talk about that and then black people and brown people in this country, but especially black people in this country don't have those same types of opportunities. And so that's what you're looking to get. That's what you're looking to get from the NFL. You look around and 70% of your players are African-American and yet your coaching is like 12%. And then the front office is less than that. You know what I mean? That's crazy numbers. Like you're good enough to, to be the product, but you're not good enough to, to cultivate the product. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's crazy. You know what I mean? You're good enough to, to put your bodies on the line, but you're not good enough to put your brains to work to help cultivate this product. And that's, and you see that each, each and every day as a player. So that's something that, that wears on you. And, and mind you, we're talking about the NFL and we're talking about sports. These are, some of the most profitable and successful businesses in the United States of America period in the world. Right. We're not even talking about people that work at, you know, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, a small, you know, law firm, or we're talking about people that work in, you know, in, in just various like warehouses or working in various stores and just, you know, more common um, blue collar type of establishments, construction. Like you don't see construction projects and bids made by many African Americans because they're they're not in that they're not in those roles. They're not in that position, and so uh, it transcends all different types of environments. But you see how bad it is because you you think I meant the I made the the analogy talking about construction workers. Like you see construction workers. The makeup of construction workers, from what I see, for the most part, are it's it's mostly Hispanic, um, and it's probably more white than black, right? Yeah. So the percentage-wise of the ownership would seem like it's a little bit more in line um, for it to make sense for it to be white guys that that have it because there's more white guys and black guys that are doing this particular thing in professional sports and football. It's the opposite of that. So yeah. it's like, there's gotta be a reason why it's, and it's not because of lack of intelligence because that's bullshit. If that's what you're going to sit here and tell me it's because you're not legitimately getting the opportunity. And like we talked about before, Ryan, people don't have uh, people are more comfortable putting people in power on a position of just making decisions with people that they're comfortable with that remind them of them that look like them that they just they feel and they understand so that's kind of where we are right now but i do want to get back to the drew Brees thing a little bit because I, I had some thoughts about that i did think that drew Brees was wrong and like you said he his comments lacked empathy but i also thought the general response to his comments was kind of over the top a little bit in some cases. I know people on Twitter are going to be mad and they going to express, you know, whatever. But certain teammates, certain media personalities, there was a little more vitriol in what they said as compared to how he addressed it. You know, he explained why he felt how he felt, you know, didn't curse and do anything. And to be honest, a lot of white people feel that way. And, you know, there has to be a dialogue, a respectable dialogue to have some to show somebody why they were wrong 
but his teammates kind of jumped out the window and made some comments and uh, other media personalities were saying he should retire, which I thought was kind of childish because y'all are professional athletes. You know, y'all making money, you feeding your family, no matter what the guy next to you thinks about the flag, y'all going to play because that's your, you're a professional. So I thought that was a little silly thinking that the team wouldn't play for him because he said that, but how, wait, how would you handle that? If you dealt with that with somebody like, let's say a Matt Schaub came out and said something controversial to that effect. Uh, would you take him aside personally? Would you make a post on social media? How would you handle that if that came up in your playing career? So during my playing career, I would never address my teammate to the public ever. If, if I'm talking to the public about a teammate, it's, it's always going to be positive. I, I, I would like I've gotten to damn near I've gotten got into verbal arguments with media members that tried to skew my words and make it seem like I was saying something negative about my teammate. Uh, like Brian, Brian T. Smith tried to make it seem like I was saying something negative about Case Keenum at one point in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I called him out on like, nah, because I don't operate that way. I don't talk about my teammates to anybody outside of the building um, in a negative light. I just, that's just not how I operate because we're part of a team. That's, that's my family. That's, that's a brother. You know I mean? It's the same thing. Like you don't talk bad about your wife to anybody outside the home. You just don't do that. If you want to have a happy marriage, that's not something that you do. That's, that's a pro tip. If you're listening out there, don't, don't talk bad. <laughs> the same thing wives about your husbands. Don't talk bad about them to people outside the home because, um, that's like one of the worst things that you can do. Social but, media. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but in this case, I think there's, it's, I don't want to say it's an exception, but you can't have a face-to-face conversation with Drew Brees because we're in a coronavirus epidemic and you can't, you can't pull him to a side. Now he could, you could have made a phone call and said, Hey, uh, we need to chop this up. You could have did a zoom call if you needed to be face-to-face and say, Hey, we need to chop this up. Um, But the problem is, is that when Drew Brees said it, it came out on social media. And so it comes out on social media, it's going to be viral. That means you have a very, very short opportunity, short window to remedy the situation. Because if if those comments would have came out and went unchecked, then there would have been a a multitude of people would would have came out and said, see, see what Drew Brees says. I agree with what he says. These, these need to stop these protests. It really is not about nothing. You're disrespecting the flag, da, 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 da. And people would have piled on to that and jumped onto that. And so I think some of those players felt like I needed to address it right here and now. And I think, I think the tone of what he said was what really bothered guys so much because it was like, you, you you really ain't been listening over these past few years. Like this was being addressed in 2017. And, and we, the first thing that comes out your mouth is that. And after everything that you've seen going on right now in the country, and the first thing that comes out your mouth is that you really haven't been paying attention. Maybe we aren't cool like that. Maybe we aren't, maybe you aren't, maybe you aren't my brother. Maybe we aren't friends. And so I think them boys was hurt. And so by them being hurt, when you hurt, hurt, hurt people, hurt people. That's just yeah. what they do. And so they lashed out because they were hurt. Now, if Matt Schaub would have been the one that did something like that, I would have caught him because that's just how I operate. I'm I have like a I have an old school mentality because I just that's just how I was raised. And so I'm gonna address that person. And if I had a conversation with him and 
and after that conversation, he still had his line, his his his, his line in the stand in the sand. He he said, I, I said what I said, and that's how I feel. You know, deal with it type situation. All right, cool. I know where you stand. I know where you are. I'm I'm gonna put you over here. Um, when we play ball, we're gonna play ball. We're not gonna be cool. And and then it would be a situation where when you talked about it to the public it would be, hey, I completely disagree with what he said. This is the reason why I disagree with what he said. I'm not finna get on TV crying over some shit that he said. I I did not I did not cut for that part at all. I didn't, I didn't feel that part of it at all. You know, all of the, I thought that was, I, that shit wasn't cool with me. Like, cause yeah, to me, that, that plays into the whole sentiment of, I want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. You're going to respect me as a man. You're going to respect me because I'm telling you the truth. And you're seeing this, you're seeing it right in front of you that this is what's going on in this country. And if, if you're okay with that, you're cool with that. If you're willing to put your thought process or your opinion of what disrespect of the flag is over what's going on in this country and especially for your teammates the guys that protect you and allow you to be who you are then that's on you you know what i mean that's on you and that's what drew Brees. that's the issue with them is like he once he said it once he got the reaction he knew all right i messed up and then i also i alienated damn near my entire locker room and so you know if you alienate your locker room as a leader, you're no longer a leader. You won't be there. You'll be, there will be a mutiny. There, there's no way that they would support you um, if that was the case. You know what I mean? And when I say support you, support you as far as like, it's one thing about, there's one thing of saying being a pro and there's another thing is saying I would, I would lay my life on the line for yeah. that person next to me. You know what I mean? Like, my quarterbacks, like those those guys are untouchable. The the mindset of offensive linemen is like, if you do anything to that person, I'll go to jail over you. It's almost like your kids, right? Yeah. But if he if he's that guy, and he's that guy, and he's somebody who's outside the head, it's like, well, damn, I need to do better. I need to make sure I get my hand inside so I don't get beat. I do my job, but well, fuck him. When it comes to that, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's a different mentality and. And if you're Drew Brees, you don't want you don't want a bunch of guys that just are going to work and doing their job around you. You want guys that's gonna lay it on the line for you. And there's a difference there. And so, um, for that reason, and also for the fact that I'm sure that when he when he made those comments, if he went back and looked at those comments, the first thing he started saying, everything had to do with him, him. And he does not have the same experiences. He doesn't share share the experience with the majority of his locker room and the majority of the guys that allow him to do what he does. So if you don't share that experience and you haven't, you haven't experienced that, um, you never walked a mile in their shoes, then you know, you, the first thing out your mouth doesn't need to be about me. Cause it's not about you. You're not being, you're not being attacked right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he just showed, a, he, he showed a severe lack of awareness when he invoked the whole idea that, you know, my great grandfather or my mm-hmm. grandfather, whatever fought for the country. Like a, a lot of our grandfathers fought for this country. A lot of them died. You know, a lot of people that don't look like you died for this country. And guess what? When, when they died for this country or when they came back from fighting for this country and they came back, they didn't have the same set of rules that your parents had or your grandparents had. And so because of that, they were already, they, they're fighting 
they're fighting with one hand tied behind their back and at a disadvantage. And those disadvantages trickle down generations to come. And that's where we are now. So someone might not look at the flag with the same reverence as you have. Imagine going to fight for the country, come back, and they're calling you nigga every two seconds when you're walking down the street in your uniform. Can you yeah. can you think about that? Can you think about that? You just literally went to a different country, killed a bunch of people, made it back safe, and then the people that you were protecting is gonna talk to you that way, not allow you to buy a house, all that type of stuff. You're, that's gonna cause anger. That's gonna cause frustration. And a lot of times that that anger and frustration got translated into inter- internally, but not put out there externally. And so for somebody that's not aware of those things that you're going through, they think everything is sweet, everything's fine. You know what I mean? But you come to a point when enough's enough, when you see enough people looking like you getting killed by people that are of authority in uniform and and nothing's being done about it. And then you're being told you're making things up or you're just feeling sorry for yourself or you continually blaming the victim. Like, well, what did they do? What did they not do? It's their own fault. They shouldn't have been doing this. They shouldn't have had a, a counterfeit $20 bill. What? Like, like what? Like, really? So it gets frustrating. And so from Drew Brees to approach it, just looking at it from his perspective, he just, he he, he was wrong for that. He's not wrong for feeling, because he easily could have had the statement that, hey, I understand, you know, Black Lives Matters is protesting X, Y, and Z. I personally would never not stand for the anthem because of X, Y, and Z. And that would have been it. But the first thing he said was, I'll never I'll never support the disrespect of the flag. You just drew a line in the sand because you're telling somebody because from their because from the guys that are near this perspective, they're not disrespecting the flag. But you're telling them that you are. You know what I mean? And that's just. That's that's a problem. Yeah. It is a problem, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad he said it Um, because kind of like how you were saying before the podcast, uh, I like to know where everybody stands. Mm -hmm. You know, it it will be easy for him to go and have his PR person write up uh, uh, so-called responses. He should reply to all these questions with and mention all the hashtags and all that stuff. Anybody can do that, but you never know where somebody's heart lies. And there's a lot of people faking the funk right now, I feel. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady says all the right things, but we know Trump is his friend. We know he had the red hat in his locker proudly displayed at one point. So he's one of those guys where it's like, okay, where do you really stand, man? We know you're transitioning into a career outside of football now. So are you just saying the right things, but still aligned with the wrong things? And so I, I think there's some people faking the funk and just trying not to get so, so-called canceled. And I'm, I'm honestly glad that Drew Brees said that, you know, because that's what he felt in his heart. And now I, I think he's learned another perspective for it. But I like to know where everybody stands, man. It's a lot. A lot of people, I think, are kind of just trying to ride a wave and not really saying what they really feel. Let, let me ask you all something, because when I heard you mention that he you know, supports Trump, do, do you think that the majority of Republicans legitimately support Trump or they support the policy that he's gonna put in effect 
that they agree with? Uh, I, the majority, because um, hmm. that's the. Yeah, go ahead, Figgy. I, I think it's a lot of people that support Trump for the simple fact that they are Republicans, and you know, it's nobody else on that side. So I'm just going Republican. To me, it's like it's like it's like set tripping almost. It's like, listen, if you're wearing red, I gotta support you because if I don't, <laughs> then that means blue is gonna win. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so. I, it, it, I would find it hard for me to believe that the way that he addresses situations, the way that he handles things, he just shows a complete lack of leadership and leadership type qualities. He does things that are positive and gets things done for certain people. If you're in certain, you're in certain uh, classes, you're in certain positions, there's a lot of things that he's been a part of or done that's been positive for the country, right? But when you look at them from the idea of, all right, if this is one country and you want everybody to be together and you don't, you want to not have this much division and you want to see like, if you're teaching your kid, when something goes wrong, this is the way you handle it. I don't think many people can point to him and say, yeah, this is, these are the leadership qualities that you should have. You know what I mean? Like when they, when you read leadership books, he doesn't strike me as somebody that's going to be in, you know, a caption or a picture in the, in the book for leadership because he's the type of person, like you, you think of it like a game of chess, right? In a game of chess, the king moves one space at a time and everybody else is used to protect the king, right? The king don't move unless he has to move, right? Hmm. He acts like a, um, a damn rook or a damn bishop or something. He's all over the place. He's he's trying to do this. He's like he looks. He acts like every piece on the board. There's no leadership there. Like you have to allow other people to do their jobs, and you speak when you need to speak and handle what you need to handle, and do it in a way that doesn't cause more issues than were already there. He does a lot of that. So to me, I don't think a lot of Republicans like Trump. They just know that the policies that he's going to fight for and keep in place are beneficial for them and what they think is right. And so that's why they keep them in place. So when I hear people say they support Trump, it's like, I don't think they necessarily support him as a person. They just support what he represents. And if that's the case, they have to now weigh, from their perspective, they have to weigh like what's more important my ideals or how he treats other people and not me. And realistically, human nature is not to, to go against yourself and go against your own interest when you're not the one getting affected. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's why I asked that question. Do you think that the majority of Republicans actually like, like Trump? Or they just like what he represents. Yeah, it's it sounds policies it, and stuff like that. It sounds like you're talking about the businesses too, because you know it, it was a list floating around saying all the businesses that support Trump and that gave to Trump. Yeah, and I feel like those businesses. Um, I guess it. I guess it. I guess Trump helped them businesses more than like the other side. So that that's why you see people like um, the guy that owned Amazon you know, supporting Trump more because yeah. I think that 
I, that's probably uh, beneficial to his business more than, you know, the other side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I want to think the way that that way, like I want to think that most Trump supporters aren't supporting him personally and they more so are just Republicans who want lower taxes or whatever. But unfortunately, and I, I do think that the ones with higher education, I'll just say that the ones that are more educated probably would rather have any other Republican leader, but they're just assigned to their station and they have right, to represent right, right. it. But I do think a lot of Trump people actually do like him. Uh, they do. Cause they, if you watch nothing but Fox news, you would think we're on the brink of another civil war. Basically, you know, yeah. there's a lot of fear mongering in that uh, demographic. There's a lot of, and it, Facebook makes it worse. You know, a lot of fake news perpetuating and, when you see all that and you see one guy who's like, I'm a rebel, I'm an outlaw, I'm not like these other politicians, I'm going to fight against all this stuff, you mm-hmm. get behind that. So I think a lot of them actually, and they're just ill-informed, honestly. So but basically they, what you're saying is the, the, the Trump supporters that lack education are more likelihood, have more likelihood to really like Trump. And definitely. Really- as opposed Definitely. to those that are educated and understanding, like, dude is just a hustler. Because he is the Definitely. ultimate hustler. That they yeah. know that he's a hustler. But at the end of the day, his policies are going to help my business. His policy, policies are going to keep me in a position of, of success. So we'll just tolerate him, you know what I mean, until we can get somebody else to that is a much that does a much better job of not causing just issues and just, I mean, just... He got a lot. Of, he got a lot of baggage to him. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like he got a lot of baggage. He came with a lot of baggage. So you would have to think if you're a Republican, you're like, damn, this is the guy that we got to rock with. But hey, it's better than the alternative. You know what I mean? And yeah. Democrats I think Democrats feel the same way about their yeah. damn uh, candidate. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And so that's why I'm I'm thankful that I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Democrat because you look at them. A lot of these leaders, especially for the presidential position. It's like, man, you you dealing with some you dealing with some shady individuals. You dealing with people that you wouldn't want to hang out with. You are dealing with people that have have voted in a, a manner that's very detrimental to myself and people that are like me. So it, it puts you in a it puts you in a in a bad situation. But um, like if you had a choice, you would have different people in those roles. So um, I think it's very important that you. When we talk about voting that you focus on what's going on at a local level if you yes. want it to, to affect your personal life um when it comes to those those top dudes man a lot of times the choices aren't great yeah i i think it would have been the same thing on the democratic side if hillary won the election yeah because a lot of people felt like she wasn't good at all and she right. had a lot of baggage too so i think if you know if she would have won and she was president now, that kind of would have been a, that kind of would have been similar to now. Is you know, hey, you know, we Democrats, uh, you know, I'm just rolling with her because she was the only one that made it. But see, you know what they'd be saying? Like, yeah, she she was better than the alternative. She was definitely better than having Trump in there. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine exactly. what it'd be like if Trump yeah. was in office? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they would have been right about that. You know, so it's yeah. like. And that's the uh, funny part about it. Remember during the election, you had all these Republicans going that Trump. <laughs> they yeah, was, they yeah, was going that Trump. And- Come on, think about think about Trump. This dude, this dude denigrated a POW 
like he he talked bad about John McCain because he got caught. I like guys that don't get caught. Yeah, like we look at we we look at that like as a little slick line when Jay Z says it. Like I like guys that don't get shot. I respect the shooter, right? <laughs> but we talking about you're the president of the United States of America. <laughs> you're running for the presidency, and you're gonna you gonna shit on a military man that was in. I think he was. I think he was in Vietnam for like like a few years or somewhere. Korea, I can't remember which what it was, but he was he was he was in captivity for like years, and you gonna shit on him because he got caught. I do actually got into a plane and was helping fight for the country. And you're going you gonna to shit on the dude because he got caught and he was a prisoner? Like, and and you're a businessman. You ain't fight these wars. You ain't fight nobody. And, <laughs> and so then when people bring up patriotism and all that stuff, it's like, man, y'all full of shit. At the end of the day, you're just trying to protect the policies that you want in place. And that's a lot of the fights has to do with that. When it comes to Black Lives Matter and and, and, and breaking up the the systems that in, are in place and, and systematic injustice, and you understand that the way the world works is there's 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 a, a big ass pie, right? And that pie has to be cut up between certain entities, right? If you start talking about reparations and actually making things fair for everybody, that means something's gotta come out of people that have right now out of their pockets in order for that to. To, to take place. And so people are like, nah, hell no, nah. like shit. I didn't do nothing. Hey, it wasn't my fault, yeah. but you're not finna take nothing from me. So I can see that perspective from people. But it's like, listen, listen, at the end of the day, if you really look at it, you really look at the things that have happened, that's that's kind of like where the privilege thing comes in. If you really look at it and you see, like, man, did you see, did y'all see the viral video where the girl was talking about playing Monopoly? And it's like you got to go around the turn four hundred times. Did you see that? I hadn't seen that one yet. Now you got to find it on on. I'll look uh, it up. It's like on Twitter or whatever. I think I think LeBron retweeted it recently. But what she said was, it's like when you play. It, it'll be like if you start off in a game of Monopoly and everybody's got a piece. You got a black piece. You got a white piece. You got a yellow piece. You got a brown piece. You got all these pieces on the board, right? In this this country, the first four hundred times around the, the board only the white piece gets to go. <laughs> or better yet, the black piece gets to go, but they can't collect anything that they land on. Everything that they go and land on goes to the white person, the white piece, right? That's for 400 years. Then for 50 years after that, after you abolish slavery, you abolish, um, you get into like segregation and, and, and Jim Crow laws and all that type of stuff. Everything that you get on the board, you don't own, you're actually kicking up to the white piece on the board. And then you finally get to a point where civil rights movement and all that type happens. And then now you can start on stuff. And, but at the same time, you are the, the likelihood of you, when you land on a certain peak, like when you go to jail, when you land on a go to jail piece, you go to jail for six turns. But when the white piece lands on a piece, they get probation or they, or they get one time to land on without going to jail or they get another time if they land, it's only for a couple of years. And then, and then you go through all that stuff and you get to now and they say, all right, win the game. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap <laughs> and win the game. Cause mind you, this is America. It's a capitalistic society. Most, the way it works, it's competitive. Somebody wins and somebody loses, right? Yeah. So you're going to tell me that you're going to expect me to win and don't feel sorry for me and don't and don't have any kind of like idea of why there could be some frustration when you've had 450 turns, 500 turns with an advantage. 
You know what I'm saying? And then there's still advantages that are in place. I was talking to Seth Payne about it the other day. I said, it's just like playing a football game. Imagine if you played a football game and all the black guys on the team, if they got a personal foul, it was a 35-yard penalty. Mm -hmm. And if a white guy got a penalty, got a personal foul, it was a five-yard penalty. And then, like, and the one team was all black and one team was all white. And when they got penalties, it was five yards every time. And when we got penalties, it was 35 yards. And then you say, but win the game. It sounds like Cam Newton getting tackled versus any other white quarterback getting tackled. Right. And then they and then they then they talking crazy, talking crazy about Cam because he's always beat up and he gets hurt. Well, well they mm-hmm. taking his head off and they not get penalized for it. He's gonna get hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's there's there's a lot of in and it's little stuff, and I'm trying to use those types of analogies and graphics so that people can kind of get it on mm-hmm. you know, a basic level. But that's what it is. But if y'all get a chance, check out that that video. Because check that she out. did a she did a better job of explaining it than I did. Um, and she was very, very passionate. And by the end of it, you like, hell yeah, like it could be another way because something she said on there, she's like, You're lucky that black folks are just looking for equality and not for revenge. Yeah. Because based off of what has happened, it it, it should be a situation like Haiti. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where there's a complete revolt and an overthrow type situation. And instead you're just looking for equality. So, you know, keep that in mind. And some people want, some, some people want the war to happen. They want it. Yeah, happen. I know a lot of black people that's saying, tired of black folks take all of, this over, take back what's ours. The right. stuff we built. <laughs> and I kind of think, I low key kind of think that's why uh, that's where a lot of white fear over giving black people equal rights in the first place kind of came from. Mm-hmm. I think they all thought like if that if if what happened to us happened to white people, they probably figured we'd want revenge. Right. So they probably looked at it like if we give these black people this, they're going to tear our head off for what we did for them for hundreds of years. Right. And we never want that. We tried it the peaceful way for so long. And it legitimately, legitimately was just wanting equality and wanting a chance, wanting a chance to get in the door. And they didn't, I don't think they understood that because I don't think they thought they would think like that if they were in our situation. So, yeah, that would uh, be an interesting conversation. I would like to talk to some. Uh, it would be an interesting conversation, but I, don't, I mean, the, the people that are the powers that be could never blatantly admit that that's the yeah. case. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. can never say, you know, we we specifically did that because we were worried about the fact that if we gave you guys a fair shot, it would take money out of our pockets. It yeah. would take, you know, when that's act that's there's no reason for that. Logically, it makes perfect sense why that would be the case. But for someone old, I mean, you would have to get people on their deathbeds saying that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, this, or, or somebody writing memoirs, somebody that was a decision maker in all these major cities that was doing redlining and all that type of stuff, writing on their memoirs. This is the reason why we did this because we wanted to keep ourselves in a position of power, X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? We also made a concerted effort to prop up certain black people where it was necessary in order to appease the masses because it's, it's it's like you at at all times if you were a a conquering if you're a conquering army right in a in a in a foreign land if you're a conquering army right you have to keep the people in a peaceful way or you're always going to have to worry about a revolt 
always. You always gonna have to have your your your, your, hand, your head, you know, yep. looking over your shoulder, right? So let's make sure we do some things to appease them, but we're not finna give them enough to where they could have any legitimate power and take over what we're trying to do. And so I think I think that's what you you see going on, but I'd have a hard time believing that anybody in any kind of authority would admit to that. But it just logically makes sense. Yeah, it goes with my conspiracy theories, basically, because that's also how I feel about um, black NFL quarterbacks being held back for so long. Mm-hmm. Nobody will ever really admit it, but I do feel like uh, the powers that be in the NFL felt like that was the last bastion of the white man in, mm-hmm. in the NFL that hadn't the last position that hadn't been taken over. And if we start letting people in, letting them in, letting them lead the team like that, then it will be over. So that's yeah. conspiracy. I, I, I can never. Prove I don't even that, know if that's but. a conspiracy theory, but it's more of that is a business decision. You don't want it to affect your bottom line because if yeah. the person, the people that consume your product, don't look like the people that are producing the product. Yeah, producer of the product, the likelihood of them spending on it will go down. You got to have. Is with anything you want to have somebody that you identify with that is playing the game, right? Remember, this is entertainment. You know, a lot of times when you're watching movies, you're getting entertained by anything. You want to identify with the person that is doing the entertaining. And so if you have it to where the quarterback position or or if, if the league was 90% black, which it legitimately could be, yeah. you know what I mean? If if there weren't, I mean, it could legitimately, it, it's almost like the NBA, Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The NBA got so black that for a time there was kind of a backlash of, man, nobody nobody looks like us. And you can go back, there's documentaries of fans saying that, like, yep. I don't like this new NBA because, you know, they they won't blatantly come out and say there's too many black dudes on here. But it it was the way that dress. I miss players like Larry Bird. They'll say right. things like I missed, that. I miss the good old days <laughs> when it was like that, right? until Michael Jordan really came along and took over the game and he was black, but he wasn't like in your face black. He wasn't, he was palatable by anybody. You could support that. And so people were fine with it and they were able to, but anytime that there is a, a white NBA player that is good. Oh God. They, I mean, Kevin Love. they love them. I mean, it don't matter if he's even from this country. Yeah, Luca. because these days it has to be people from other countries. And Luca is nice. That's my guy. Dirk yeah. is nice. Those are my like Dirk is my favorite player to ever play the game because that's wow. my team. You know what I mean? And he brought my team a championship. But they're going to they're going. It's like it's like boxing, the Great White Hope. You know what I mean? There's yes. in, in sports you're seeing. There's like there's. It's an interesting dynamic, but you know, like when you say it's a conspiracy, I don't think it's necessarily a conspiracy because it it's proved out over time that that the, the consumers of the product, which is white people for the most part, because there's they make up like 65, 70% of the population or whatever it is. Um, that number keeps going down, but they make up the, the 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 buying power when it comes to these professional leagues, they make up the greater majority of it. And so if you don't see anybody that you identify with that looks like you have the likelihood of you spending money on their product goes down. And so NFL owners know that NBA owners know that like different leagues know that. 
That's why a lot of, that's why the NBA try to get more part of the reason they try to get a more worldwide market. Yeah. Because you don't have that issue. If you're only trying to, if you're only trying to get money out of the American pot, you're limiting yourself. And then plus when your product doesn't necessarily jive with the American pot, let's go outside of America and we'll go to these different countries and, and bring, because now you're bringing more money in the pot and they don't look at it the same way. They don't look at black athletes like, well, they don't look like me. Cause you're from a different country. You just like, damn, this is an amazing game that I love. And cause at one point in this country that was the majority of players were not black. The majority of the yeah. players was white in every sport. You know what I mean? And it's, I think that's, I think there's something to that. I mean, it's not blatant and it's not, um, but it's, it all ties in together. It all ties in with guys being comfortable with certain people. It all ties in with, you know, at the end of the day, we can't just have everybody looking the same way. Cause people are going to be like, well, I mean, damn, like yeah. there's nobody that's like me in this league. Well, maybe I don't know if this is, this league is for me. I'm not going to spend my, you know, hard on money when they don't have anybody that looks like me, there's something to that. People will, I mean, it's the same thing why black folks really loved Tiger Woods in golf because there was yep. nobody that looked like, it's the same thing the other way around. You you were not, as black people, we were not allowed to play golf. You weren't allowed to even play. You could only be a caddy. Then there was, finally this, this black kid that came up that was better than everybody else. So now you got a bunch of black people watching golf now. Yeah. You know what I mean? like a, a game that they would never pay attention to because you weren't allowed to be a part of it. And so you're like, well, hell, if you don't want us to play, we'll go do something else. We'll take over all these other sports. But it's just like, there's something to that. That is legitimate. That's like human human condition. That's true. I didn't think of it that way. Serena and Venus too in tennis. Yeah, and tennis, you know, yeah so. same thing. Arthur Ashe and, yep. and um, uh, what's my girl from Houston? Zena Garrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all these type of players that, you know, in tennis, black folks really didn't, know nothing about tennis then really it was you know that was something that they that was a country club sport that they weren't yes. allowed to participate in right mm-hmm. unless you were like helping clean up you might see it and you might try it on a low when nobody's watching and be good at it but it wasn't something you were allowed to do but then when you see somebody like you succeeding in a sport that they really weren't supposed to be a part of you're gonna you're gonna buy into that and it's the same it's flip it for white folks now NBA game is not a necessarily a game for white guys anymore. Yep. And so when they get a good one, they're going to support them. <laughs> I, I, I understand it. That makes perfect sense to me because I, I see the other side of it. It's not like they weren't allowed to play. It was just they kind of got phased out because of the style of the game and, you know, athleticism that goes along with it and, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny we talking about this because – I, I'm always proud of a black quarterback in the league if they start and if they playing, but I was really excited about Lamar Jackson for some reason because mm-hmm. you know just from the beginning, people uh, remember what was the um, GM that said oh he should be a receiver or whatever. I think I it was Bill Polian. I think it was Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you he had all that. He dropped all the way down to tw- uh, to thirty second in the uh, in the draft. And for him to light, light the league on fire, it's just um, to me it was great. And you had all these different people saying, "Oh, every time you have a bad game, oh, see, mm-hmm. see." They so, were waiting. They were hoping that he got yeah. hurt so they, they could, see. I told you so. Yeah, and they still doing that. No, yeah. they still doing that. They was tearing them up for that playoff game. And it's like, oh, like this dude had a great year. He's an MVP. 
So I think next year, um, I think a lot of people will be looking at him, hoping he fail, hoping he yeah. get hurt to say, see, see, I told you that style won't work. We, you need somebody like an Eli Manning. It's true, man. Uh, shoot, good conversation, man. Good, good, good topics and, and great discussion here. I want to wrap it up a little bit, but I do want to touch on one more thing real quick. Um, I, I kind of want to criticize some some of the black celebrities I've seen who have reacted to this thing. <laughs> I, I, we we got to mention some names. I, I will start positive because we got to move together as a unit. Right. So I, I will start positive. The people I was surprised that came out the way they did. Uh, Tanache was at the protest since the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew of her a little bit, but I didn't think she'd be down for the cause like that. Honestly, she's been supporting a lot, posting a lot, um, put her feet to the ground and then going to the protest in LA and holding it down. So shout out to her. She's been doing a thing. Nick Cannon has been out there as well. Kind of surprised me. Well, he's always been kind of about it. So I'm not too surprised, but yeah. Nick Cannon's been doing it too. Somebody that corny could be like about yeah, it. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> <laughs> Nick can Nick. Yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick is goofy, but his heart yeah. is, I think he has great intentions, man. Yeah. So yeah. I can't criticize him too much. Yeah. Uh, who else? Kalani has also been very active on social media, um, doing a whole lot. I know J. Cole was at a protest as well. Other people have been kind of more low-key about it, but they've been supporting. Mm-hmm. So I've been paying attention to Coco Golf. She's been kind of active a little bit. Oh, yeah. Her uh <laughs> Naomi Osaka, too. Yeah, she's yeah. been very so, vocal. Like yeah, I you see Naomi Osaka has earned the most money like ever. That like, was quickly. Surprise. In, in 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 tennis, I was like, damn, she just but you gotta think she got two whole countries. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's legit. You know, that's two countries like, we have black. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot to play with that. Yeah. I feel a type of way about that because number one, I'm glad she she's getting money, you know, being <laughs> a, a a black woman. But at the same time, I kind of feel like she ain't earned what Serena has earned. Right. For Serena to get that kind of money, you know, Serena went on a tear. Her and Venus, uh, Naomi hasn't won that much. You know, she had that one match. Uh, what was that? The Australian Open or U.S. Open, mm-hmm. where she won against Serena. But yeah. after that, she ain't been doing great. But yeah. I'm still happy she's getting money, man. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I just felt a, a lot of it. A lot of it has to do with Serena. If you just look at their their physical makeup, um. Serena's physical makeup is a, a niche market. It's a yeah. market I'm a fan of, but it's a niche market. <laughs> Stallion um, market. Uh, now, uh, um, what's the girl's name again? Naomi. Naomi, Naomi yeah. Osaka. Osaka. Like her market is a little bit more palatable to the masses. Plus, she came, she came along later. And so the money is bigger regardless because of things that Serena and Venus and people that came before did. So I That's think true. it has to do with that, but she's she just is a more and then like I said, she has a whole country behind her. Yeah, Japanese people gonna ride with her, real yeah. talk. Because when was the last time you had a Japanese tennis star? Long like, time. Or I just mean, look at Japan any, has a Japan has a at, huge earning power and a huge GDP. They and so if you gonna have that whole island supporting you, and it's a, a major like Japan, you know you are gonna get. You don't get paper, so yeah. Or just look it. at that whole Asian market. Yeah, like any Asian superstar gets yeah. supported a lot. Look yeah. at Yao Ming; he got supported a lot. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and she Haitian too. I'm proud of her Haitian heritage. She promotes that too. So I'm sure she got that whole country mm-hmm. behind her as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. she's doing the thing. But but back to the the uh, celebrity response. Yeah. So there there have been some people I've been very disappointed in. Some people I didn't expect a whole lot of in the first place, but I'm still disappointed. Yeah. We talked about Lil Wayne last week and what he said, extremely tone deaf and just, I don't even want to get back into that. Enough said. I missed it though. So can you tell me what he said so I can know where we're we going with this? What did he, what did so, he do? So basically Lil Wayne uh, was on a, uh, I guess Fat Joe's podcast or Instagram live or something. Yeah. And Fat Joe didn't even try to, you know, give him a hardball. He gave him an easy, what do you think about uh, the death of George Floyd and, and what's going on in the country today? Yeah. And he instantly went off on the black on black crime tangent. He went on, you know, not all cops are bad. Uh, we need to look more at the ones that are bad in doing this. And to be honest, that, Drew Brees. <laughs> yeah, he went for No, he made Drew Brees look light. OK, Lil Wayne made Drew Brees look light. He was extremely he didn't say anything about any kind of black plight. And, and if you go back, you know, he does this because he when the whole Black Lives Matter thing first popped off. He had that interview with that lady where she he got upset when she even asked about it. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I'm rich, so I know my life matter. He, 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 yeah. so I don't expect anything from Lil Wayne. I don't like calling people stupid, but he's just yeah. extremely ignorant and he's in his own bubble and let him yeah. stay there. Just rap and don't ask him anything ever about anything sociopolitical or anything that matters in the world. Just right. put words together on a beat. I think that's important. The point that you just made, though, is like, listen, um, if you're an athlete, if you're a celebrity, if you're somebody that has a platform that doesn't qualify you to speak intelligently about anything. Yes. Any substance. Right. So but you being in that position, you definitely can't silence somebody that's in that position and say, shut up and dribble. You know what I mean? So that means that if there is if there is an athlete, entertainer, et cetera, that wants to jump into the fray and they're intelligent and they can speak about it and they've done their research, then I'm all for it because now you can use that platform for good. At the same time, you can't, you can't take the ignorant athlete or celebrity that don't know what the hell they're talking about and say like, see, see, I told you, this is how yeah. they think. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that's the problem is that that's what they're trying to do. Like somebody, you know, somebody that is trying to prove up their side, they'll be like, well, look at this black person here that is, uh, that is, white against what you guys are saying right now. It's like, first of all, all black people don't think alike, all right? Yes. Please get that understood. Everybody don't think alike. Now, most black people, if not all black people, and I I hate speaking in absolutes, but they've experienced some type of microaggression, racism, prejudice at some point in their life. Everybody has their first story that they remember when it happened to them. Whereas other people don't have to do, don't have that same experience in life. It just is what it is. And so you cannot, you cannot paint everybody with a broad brush, but Lil Wayne speaking out on political issues, I wouldn't expect him to have anything intelligent <laughs> to say about it. And apparently he, he lived up to the expectation. So yeah, and yeah. Is what he is, and I, he doubled down on it too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think when it comes to certain celebrities, man, I see a lot of people on Twitter saying, "Hey, so and so didn't speak out," or "Oh, we haven't heard from so and so." I don't like, like that at all. I think we, I think unless that celebrity want to come out and speak, and like you said, way if they're educated on the situation, 
yeah, sure, you can speak out, but if you don't know anything, like it's best to just be quiet and you, you know. You know what I think celebrities should do in that case is like say, and I think I think white people should have this same mentality as well. White people that are afraid to speak out because they don't want to say the wrong thing, which is a legitimate feeling that some white people have, especially ones that have some some type of celebrity or something to lose. How you should approach it is, is if you don't know and you can't speak intelligently about it, ask people questions. You could literally get on your Twitter and say, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on negative in the world today, Black Lives Matter, Matter movement. Can someone break it down for me and explain what issues that you're facing so that I can learn about it. Can you send me some docu documentaries that I can watch? Can you send me some literature that I can read so that I could do my research on it? Because I know that the way things are going in the world is what this way. There's no, people wouldn't be protesting, rioting, looting for just no reason at all. Yes. There's gotta be something going on. So let me try to figure out what's going on and then I can speak intelligently about it and try to do my part to make the situation better. I think any celebrity, any white person is worried about saying the wrong thing. If they took that approach, I think a lot of things could could be better off for everybody. Cause then they would, you you could literally say this. You When you asking these questions, people not gonna try you and say, hey, uh, why you ain't said nothing yet? If you saying that, listen, man, I don't, and, People might say, well, you should know you black. You've been you've been uh, you've been making money off the backs of black folks for all this time. And you don't know mm -hmm. about our causes. I could see that happening. But at the end of the day, anybody with any sense of logic and reasoning and empathy and sympathy will say, listen, I, I just appreciate the fact that this dude is trying to or this woman is trying to be educated on and they want to do something and use their platform to help. So let's let's school them and then go from there. It's just like the, the idea of being wise and, yeah. and showing your wisdom, to, wisdom, sharing it with somebody younger than you. Like you expect the young whippersnapper to not know what the hell he's talking about. He's green, you don't know him. So let me let me pull him on my you know coattails and let me let me school him on what's going on out here so then he can function. That's the, that's the whole point. So I, I, I would love to see that be kind of the approach of people just Hey, what what's some things I can watch? What's some things I can read up on? What's some things that you can show me and tell me so that I can now take those experiences coupled with my experiences in life and 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 now and talk intelligently about this and push the conversation forward. That that'll be a much better approach. And I wish it was practiced more by people like you said who didn't know or or are kind of unaware of the issues, but the unfortunate thing is, and this goes for black wealthy and celebrities as well. I kind of feel like for some reason, whenever they reach a certain type of fame or celebrity or wealth, they lose all empathy for people who are below them on the socioeconomic status. Um, and we see that with people getting upset that these designer stores got looted and robbed. I know Meek Mill was, Trina, who I was very disappointed in oh, when she jumped all the way out the window and called people savages out the zoo because they were looting and was talking about black on black crime. Mm -hmm. uh, 
unfortunately, these people, they seem to lose empathy and they forget where they started from um, when they get a certain certain amount of wealth and celebrity. And they're like, well, they, they see it from the master's perspective, basically, you know, and they might say, well, I worked hard for my Rolex and somebody just got one for free. They don't even care about the issues at hand because they don't experience that anymore. At least they think they don't. Right. So they're like, I don't know what y'all talking about. My like Lil Wayne said, my life matters because I'm rich. They kind of think like that. And it's very unfortunate to see, you know, uh, I don't I hate celebrity culture. I don't like looking at these people as our leaders. But unfortunately, in some cases, they are. And I think the least you could do is not harm us and our movement. Right. They, saying nothing would be preferable to saying that you basically siding with the oppressors and saying that, you know, uh, uh, these, these riots and these these protests are stupid because, you know, we're already equal and you know what's going on. So, yeah, just think this. Imagine if LeBron James would have said the exact same thing that Drew Brees said yeah. and and the, the run he would get on Fox News, but he would be the hero to Fox News. Yes. Because now he say, you know what? LeBron James, the most they would talk so glowingly about LeBron James. Yes. I don't think they've ever talked glowingly about LeBron James ever. That every time I've seen them talk about him on this, they've never said positive things about LeBron James. <laughs> if he would have, if he took a stand like that or the stance like that, they would be all over him. He'd be the he'd be you know black Jesus to them because now <laughs> this person that has so much power and authority in the black community is going against what these people that keep bothering us with this whole Black Lives Matter and all this type stuff, we're gonna prop them up. So basically it's like, because you don't agree with what they say, you need to tell them to shut up. Yeah. And vice versa, if they do agree with you say, you're gonna prop them up and and serve them up to the mass and say, this is, this is see, this is how all black people think. Cause even LeBron thinks that way, or this is how, you know what I mean? So that is, um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that celebrities have that much power I do agree with you that if you don't have anything that's going to push along the cause, then don't say anything at all. Because it's um and, and it's it's unfortunate, but it is the reality of the situation is once you come to a certain status, if you want the betterment of your brothers and sisters that are not at your status right now, you have a responsibility to do something to reach back to the neighborhood. Yes. And you and you have to do and you have a responsibility to reach back um and create opportunities for those that otherwise they don't have it because other communities, other ethnicities, other groups consistently look out for one another on a on a on a more consistent basis. Yes. And they also they have more opportunities to do so. So like there's more pressure on the celebrities that do make it because there's only a handful of you. When you look at the big scheme of things, there's only a handful of, of, of black people that have the ability to have power and authority and to make differences in people's lives and create opportunities like that. So now when you look at people talk bad about Jay-Z, they talk bad about Diddy, they talk bad about a lot of people that are celebrities that have the ability to have authority, but it's like, it's only a handful of guys that really has that type of authority. You know what I mean? Uh, Bob Johnson, there's there's various, you know, billionaire, black Oprah, black billionaires, yes. right? So now they're held at a standard that most white billionaires or, or white or 
just billionaires in general, but white billionaires, they don't have to, they're not dealing with that same pressure from their community. It's almost expected that they're, they're going to pick the best of the best, the educated ones. And that is what it is, or the, or the, the family members and, you know, nepotism is going to always play into decision-making, but there's not enough black folks for nepotism to play into to the, yeah. to the, like black folks would just wish you could come to a point where I can get a job just because my daddy or my granddaddy had this company. Mm-hmm. Whereas that is like normal as hell for other yes. for, for white folks. That's normal as hell. And you they'll point it out and say, yeah, well, that asshole just got the job because his dad is, but that don't go on in the black community. That is, yeah. that is kind of, when you talk about privilege, that's, that's what it is. That that yes. is an example of it. Like there's not enough black people in a position of power where they can just get jobs because they family member owns the company. You know what I mean? But that is something that is normal as hell for white people. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and not to mention black people got to work three times as hard just to get a regular position. <laughs> and meanwhile, a white person could get a position just, you know, just off the same criteria. Yeah. The same, um, the, st- the same stuff the black guy can do. And that's part of the reason why when black dudes make it or black women make it, it's why they're so successful because they had to go through so much shit to mm-hmm. get to that point that they can handle adversity better. They can handle communicating with all different types of people better because they've had to assimilate and adapt to so many environments and deal with so much adversity just to get to their station now. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like, um, you think about it like NFL wise or just sports, you go back, going back to sports where teams will want a dude that came from a bad situation over a guy that came from a cookie cutter private school suite situation because they feel like that dude that came from around the way he's had to deal with a lot and he's been able to overcome it he's one he's he's a leader on his team he you know he's doing everything the right way um not the quarterbacks though but you know the middle linebacker you know what i mean the running back the wide receiver the, the the safety on the team he man, he he's comes from so and so. He and and he got through that. He's 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 able to handle things and deal with adversity. He's been he's able to translate or draw back upon his experiences growing up and overcoming all those things in order to when it gets to nut cutting time, that's why we know he's gonna come through. It's really it's like Deshaun Watson is a perfect example of that. You know what I mean? Deshaun Watson of, you know. DeAndre Hopkins, these these are guys are perfect examples of that. That's why people gravitate to them as far as when they finally make that decision to have them on their team and, and yeah. want them. They want those type of guys because they dogs. You know what I mean? That mentality, that dog mentality, like it, because you had to get it out the mud. You had to you had to to walk to school on some janky mm-hmm. ass shoes. <laughs> um, um, you went hungry at times, so yeah. you're so thankful for to be where you are in life. You're not gonna fuck it up. As opposed to somebody that comes from a situation that that might have had everything given to him, like a like a uh, like a what's the boy name? Um, Texas A and M, Johnny Johnny Manziel, like a Johnny Manziel type dude. You know what I mean? Johnny Manziel 
had a silver spoon in his life the entire life. And so they, they, it was very- He didn't take that opportunity serious. He didn't take it serious. And so then once he, you know, they kept giving him chances because they wanted him to do it. But, but it was easy to get rid of his ass. And it was something that I bet you some scouts and people, Baker Mayfield scouts and people will say like, man, I don't know about this dude because he, he ain't really did went through nothing. He ain't never, you know, had to go overcome adversity. I'm not even. I'm gonna take him off my board because I already yeah. know what this dude is gonna be about. And the majority of it isn't that way. But if you're smart and you look at it, you know that 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 can keep you from um, making the, a poor decision when it comes to personnel. Same thing with these players that come from like Croatia, Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. like war torn countries. European countries like these dudes are not coming from Switzerland. They're coming from war zones. So them coming to America and, and having to bang with black dudes is from the hood. That ain't going to phase them. None. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they seen people get shot in front of them too coming up. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's different. That's why you see that the league is made up of a bunch of black dudes and dudes from, came from a lot. those type of countries. Because mm-hmm. those are the ones that are able to bang and, and and aren't intimidated and 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 are willing to grind at that particular profession. Whereas in other, you know, a white dude that makes it in the league, um, more times than not, he didn't have to go that route. He yeah. chose to go that route. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to this is all I got. This is the only chance I got. Um, I'm gonna put everything I can can in it to keep it. And so now um, you get more out of that particular player. Do you think that's why we don't see many like multi-generational black stars in the NFL? Because I kind of always remember a story like Michael Irvin said that he kicked his son out his house when he said he wants to play football because he said you can't stay in this big ass house and and have the hunger that all these other kids going to have that you're going up against. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, you see Del Curry and Steph Curry, a lot of other Clay Thompson as well. A lot of people coming from uh, multi-generations in the NBA, but not really in the NFL. Do you think that's why? Because, you know, when, when you are a rich kid, it's harder to have that grind mentality when you play in football. That's a great point. I never thought of it that way, but that I think there's something to that. I mean, in my neighborhood that I live over here now, I coach football, I coach youth football. And a lot of the dads on the team played in the league. A lot of a lot of the coaches on the coaching staff, they have kids on the team and they played in the league or they live in this neighborhood. So it's a nicer neighborhood. And so it's like they got a lot of talent, but they don't necessarily have that dog in them. That yeah. like, like there's a rival like I coach for the Siena Stallions. There's a rival team that we play against called the Cobras. And we've played them, let's say, six times in the past three years and only won once. And every game is always close. It's a one score game. It's, I mean, it, it's always very, very competitive back and forth, hit each other in the mouth. But, you know, that little edge tends to go to them more times than not. And I think it has to do with they got more dog in them. They, they, they don't like, they go outside. When I, when we were kids, we went outside all damn day, get out the house mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> You had bigger boys, and so you had to. They might try to jump you, beat you up, fight you, toughen you up. You playing throw up tackle with them, so they toughen you up. Like you lived outside, and so that that shapes you, your mentality, and it shapes your ability 
as an athlete, where opposed is like the kids in this neighborhood, you know, they going you know, you do play dates. You go to, you know, you go to, uh, you know, you 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 might take them on visits to the museum and stuff like that. And maybe, and and not to say that other kids don't get that as well, but there's there's more there's more like you don't just kick the kids out the house in this neighborhood. You just don't like, mm. they, that, like but in in those neighborhoods, it is still like that to the effect like just go outside and you just play with your partners all day. Um, on the street and they live in houses and stuff too. It's not like this is apartment kids and house kids and then like that, but it's just a different mentality. And so um, I think a lot of it also has to do with because it's a bunch of people that look like one another in that neighborhood. And so it's easier for you to trust them being out there. You're just an issue of yep. if you're in a different neighborhood, you like, if my kids go out the house, somebody might bother them. Cause they're like, what mm-hmm. you doing over here? Where you, that's, that's a whole nother Thing. As we're talking through this, I'm like, well, that's, that's, that plays into it somewhat too. But it's like those kids ain't, they don't have as much dog in them as other kids. And so that might play into kind of what you're talking about. Like, you don't see Jerry Rice's kid making it to yeah. or, or Walter Payton's kid played. Like, Jerry, I know Jerry. Jerry Payton grew up Walter Payton's kid. He played in Miami, but he was never anywhere close to being the caliber player that his dad was, you know, Barry Sanders kids or whatever kid that you can think of, um, you don't really see it like that in the NFL. And I think it's that, that, that plays into it, but it does, but you do see it with the white dudes, kids like yeah. the Bruce Matthews and the Clay Matthews That's and, true. The, and like, you do see it with them, the, the quarterbacks, the, the Mannings and, it's different. That that might be, that might be like the top. We might need to go and do some research on it. That might be a, a topic to discuss. That you you said something there. I'm a, I'm gonna be thinking on that. Like I wonder, like there's something to that. But I can see that. I can see that though. It's the silk sheets, man. Hard to get up at five a.m. Yeah, <laughs> when you're sleeping on them. Uh, so that's definitely shoot. I you made a good point about the white players too. I didn't think that because that does kind of apply more in the NFL. So I wonder why. That's a good thing to dig into for the future but uh great discussion i have one one more one more light question i have for y'all before we go okay and i want to know if it's just me but have y'all noticed white people treating you a little bit nicer in the in the last couple of weeks because i have i've had the door i'm gonna, I'm gonna let me. Fear go first i'm gonna let Fear go first <laughs> so uh, you in the office every day every day <laughs> every day now, to this day. <laughs> now to be fair, the office is still closed, so I'm only around the host. Right. But um, I haven't really seen the change. I felt like they always been cool with me. But um, I want to say last week I did tweet. It was kind of like a frustration tweet. That I'm saying, you know, I'm tired of this. I couldn't sleep, you know, and I really couldn't sleep after this whole George Floyd situation. And it really been on my mind for, um, since it happened. But I have been getting a lot of DMs saying, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this. And, you know, I'm with you, man. I, I hate that this world is like this. So shout out to them. But I feel like I, I have been getting a lot more smiles behind the uh, behind the mask <laughs> out in public. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is different now, man. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, what I'm, I'm seeing is and like you don't get 
as many opportunities to communicate with people face to face these days just because of the coronavirus and everybody not trying to be each other's face. But, you know, I, I ride my bike around the neighborhood. That's like my exercise. I do. I ride bikes or, you know, sometimes go on a jog or whatever it may be. And I would say like day two of the protest and I went to go ride my bike and it was like, now, mind you, when I normally ride my bike, people will wave or whatever like that. But it was like you could you felt like that people were going out of their way. And my my and I don't want to give people the wrong idea. Like my neighborhood is very diverse. If I mm-hmm. if I if if we did a racial demographics of my street, it would probably be something like. I don't know if I had to guess the numbers like 35 percent white, 25 percent uh, black and then like everything else would be other because there's like so many different nations like United Nations over here as far as my street right so black people being around the neighborhood jogging around riding bikes and stuff like that walking with their family that's very very normal but you could feel like a concerted effort for them being very very overly nice very big smiles like hey we're not like that and <laughs> at min at minimum at minimum if a white person doesn't know exactly what to do or say but they say you know well at bare minimum i can just be nice and, and show like care for you know you as a person that that in itself is a good thing and so yeah. it, it, that in itself is a good thing. It's not like that alone is going to get us to where we want to be as a society, but that is a good thing. And, and somebody made this very similar post to this on Facebook. Um, so one of my one of my partners that lives in Dallas, and there were so many people up there that I know, black folks that were saying like, yes, yeah, the same thing. All these different examples of like going to restaurants and people like skipping them up in line, like, come on, I got you type stuff like crazy it's not crazy but it was just like hey man we see this whole time man y'all been going through it and we ain't yes. we weren't even paying no attention to it so you know what we like you know my bad whatever we gonna we gonna we gonna get through this together so yeah bare minimum you can you know what being nice to somebody a smile that 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 is doing something because when that's that's what i think people don't realize that a lot of times the black folks been suffering in silence Mm-hmm. You don't want people to feel sorry for you. You don't want to feel like you're annoying. You don't feel want to feel like you're complaining. But there's little stuff, little shit that happens to you and be like, man, like really? And you figure out ways to internalize it. You figure out ways to just compartmentalize it, put it to the side and keep on going about handling your business. Right. So I think it kind of waking them up to saying like, damn, they really been going through some things yeah. and we ain't even we had no clue or that was something that was going on on TV, but that's just cable news and there's fake news all the time. They're just making things, mountains out of mole hills. It's not really that serious, but but now nah, I think a lot of black folks have been voicing like, yo, these are the things that have happened to me. These are things that I've gone through, just little shit that happens every day. Um, and they're like, you know, it, it's, it's wrong and we need to be more aware. Just think about this, fellas. There was literally a ordinance in New York for stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a legitimate thing. That was a real law. That was a real law that was put in place that you could. And and I'm and I'm related to you guys like this is that anytime and I, hopefully people that are listening to this that aren't black can relate to this. If you get pulled over on the highway, 
you just like, well, hell, I just, you know, get my ticket. I'm hurry. I want to hurry up and go because wherever I was going, I'm trying to get there. There's no like embarrassment factor there. But when you get pulled over in your neighborhood, like where you live at, or the police are around you and maybe you have to get out the car and there's people driving by that you know might know you, that's like an embarrassing, demeaning type situation. So imagine if you're walking in Central Park and there's all these people around, all these people that don't look like you because you gotta mind you now, Central Central Park is one of the most, in New York City is one of the most diverse cities in the country, in the world. And a lot of people that look like you are getting stopped and frisked and physically getting their bodies touched by police officers and it's within the law. Yeah. How do you mentally deal with that idea that I've been frisked multiple times because I look like a suspect or because they just feel like doing it. And when they did all the numbers, I don't have the numbers in front of me. When they did all those numbers, it was like overwhelmingly like 75, 80% 80 of the people that were frisked were black. And the numbers of people that actually had something on them was very, very low. And it was like, so you just got all these normal run of the mill dudes just trying to live their lives and they're consistently getting harassed and frisked in front of all these other people that are watching it happen that I'm sure they're probably looking like, oh damn, look, mm-hmm. somebody else somebody else committing a crime because that's all they see on the news all the time. It's like, damn. And it was a law. Yes. Yeah. And you're not even a person that lives in there, but we live here in Texas and we know that this is an actual law in a what should be a liberal state in a liberal city. And we have to we have to reconcile the fact to know that this is an actual law that people believe in and think is working is a good law. And, you know, it's utter bullshit the entire time, but you're just supposed to be okay with it and not complain about it and not say anything about it. And so you internalize that stuff. So I think there's examples like that, but there's a bunch of examples where these are little things to major things that you're dealing with on a consistent basis. And if you're not complaining about it, people don't care about it because they live in their own lives. I don't necessarily yeah. blame them for it. People people are out for themselves anyway. And they live in their own lives, so don't pay attention to it. Be like, damn, so my, my buddy down the street, I didn't even realize that he was going through that. Hell, man, you want to come over and have a beer or something like that? You know, and, and you really can't do that right now because you got a pandemic going mm-hmm. on. So it's they're going to give you a big-ass smile. They're going to tell you. They're going to wave real big. Hey, how you doing? And I can appreciate that. And I think people, I mean, I think black folks should appreciate that when that's being done. That's a, that is a legitimate gesture that I can appreciate from just white people in general. I, I agree, man. And I'm telling people, cause I know some people feel weird about it. They feel like it's kind of in a way condescending and kind of weird, but I'm like, man, I'll take it. Don't get I, on, don't, don't, I, don't, don't get on a knee and renounce. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, don't, don't get on a knee privilege. and renounce your white man. privilege. Don't, don't do, do all that. Did you see that photo we had had on out of out of black folks standing up and they was all on their knees? Yes. <laughs> I said, man, don't do like, that. Sorry, white, white people, white people, don't do that. Yeah, that, you ain't got to do all that. You ain't got to do like that. You don't got to do all that. We don't. We don't. No, please don't. <laughs> don't do that. I, I, I had a a uh, uh, a black friend who was uh he got cash jab I guess randomly by I, it was somebody he knew it was a white guy yeah. he got yeah. cash jab by a, a guy. And he said the cash app note said for being a black creative. 
and it was like 25 bucks. Yeah. And he felt weird about it. And I'm like, yeah. dog, you better take that, man. I mean, all this shit we've been through, <laughs> I, I, I get why you feel weird about it, but man, shoot, I, yeah. I spent that shit on a nice little lunch or something. Yeah. It, and I could, and, and it's okay for it to be awkward. Yeah. Just don't be lame. Getting on a knee. Yeah. Renouncing your white <laughs> privilege. That's lame. You know, sending somebody some bread. It can be awkward. They might say, nah, no, thank you. I'm cool. But I appreciate the gesture. I appreciate you trying to, to do something. But the, 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 the last thing you want is for a white person to give the cash app of $25 and be like, shit, I did my part and I'm gonna go back. Yeah, that's true. To business as usual. You know what I mean? So like I said, awkward is cool. Uncomfortable is cool. Let's not be lame. Yeah. It's the stay away. That was the worst thing I saw. Yeah. I think that, I don't know what was worse. Malcolm crying. <laughs> or, or the white folks getting on the Oh man, both of them were very similar from. in my mind. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't rock with that. Oh man, I, I yeah, the white the white taking a knee thing is worse. I feel like the take a knee thing has been beyond ruined for years now. Whenever yeah. all the NFL teams, including so Jerry Jones, Jones, did it while looking at the camera, like ever since that happened, yeah. the knee has been ruined. Remember uh, Ray Lewis on both knees? Yes. <laughs> what he said? Yes. And he said he wasn't taking a knee for the flag. He was saying a prayer or whatever. Yeah. So the, the knee has been ruined. We haven't done the knee as an actual protest in a long since Kaepernick did it really. And for people doing that now, the cops doing it, it, it it's meaningless. And it, it comes off as corny as force. Don't do it. There's a lot better ways to express that you understand we're going through and want to support than taking a knee for a photo and posting on Instagram. Nobody wants to see that shit anymore, so. Yeah, and and for sure don't take a knee in front of black folks to look like you're subservient. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's not it. Yeah, yeah, that was very, very strange look. Um, very strange. I didn't yeah. know what they, they were thinking the, the black people that were there. Must I want. I so want to. I want to. I want to be in the room when they're having all those conversations. Like, well, what can we do? You know, what we'll do. <laughs> we'll get on our knees and renounce our privilege. That's what. Oh, man. They'll be like, yeah, they'll love that. Like, <laughs> I would love. And I can't speak for everybody, but no, that's that. That ain't it. Like, just not that. Yeah. There's better ways. That ain't the way. <laughs> I would love to be in some of those meetings. Remember, Starbucks had that meeting where they shut down for a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to be in the meetings just to see what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, it's bad. I'm sure it's like, bad. If you have to have a meeting to, you know, I guess not be. I don't want to say racist or a I meeting. Be prejudice. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's real strange, man. <laughs> that's why you need more diverse people that are in corporations because if you just have one black person there or maybe no black people there, but if you have one black person there, they're gonna be looking to that one black person to speak for the black community and say, okay, so what what do you guys want? Yep. And so now you're living up to that person to be right about it or wrong about it. Yeah. As opposed to if you have three or four or five or six, whatever it is, and you bring it up and you can have a multitude of people that come from different situations, different backgrounds that are African-American, that are from diverse backgrounds that can come to a collective decision on this is how we should approach it. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, when you're more likely to do something that is more effective and worthwhile. That's, you know, I can, like, like people were 
asking about Drew Brees, I like I can't expect Drew Brees on his mm-hmm. own to come up with the right way to address the situation. Yep. He don't know any better. Like he should know better, but I don't I don't expect him to know better because he hasn't lived that experience and he hasn't he hasn't had to and he hasn't chosen to. So why would I expect him to come out saying things the right way? You know what I mean? I said the same thing about Bob McNair when he made his comments back in 2017 or whatever, mm-hmm. and everybody's up in arms about it. I was like, it didn't surprise me. He he, he came up in the you know 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever it may be. Like he probably didn't feel like it was anything wrong with what he said. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't even he didn't look at it that how it could possibly be taken because that's not his world. You know what I mean? Like he's it's just, I don't expect him to get it. So when somebody gets it and somebody does it the right way, it's like, okay, they actually did their homework, did their due diligence. I can respect that. And I also am going to lie to that person because you showed empathy. You showed the ability to talk to people that it directly affects. That's why Bill O'Brien, I think, just did a damn good job. Yeah. His. And and me giving props to Bill O'Brien, like it's not hard <laughs> for me to do, but I haven't had reason much reason to do so, especially recently. Yeah. And so it was surprising he was able to pull it off. He did a good job. He did, man. And I think this is great a great moment for everyone black and white to figure out, okay, how can we finally address this and, and try to fix it? There's really no fixing centuries worth of what's happened to us, but we could at least begin to, pro- to make sure that the next generation don't have to go through the same bullshit, yeah. if possible. Yeah. So I think we're building the stones there and hopefully, you know, people will live up to their words with action and we'll see real change in the next few years. But yeah. only time will tell, man. Yeah. I think I think that internally as black people and as a community, we can do things better ourselves to help prop ourselves up in certain yeah. instances. And at the same time utilize this this position and this leverage we have right now to affect the change with police reform because that part i think can be fixed the systematic oppression and and the 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 systems that are in place that's going to take such a long time to to work through but the police part of it and the way people police that by the times our kids are our age they can live in a world where police are are basically universally lauded. Like there's no yeah. reason, like police Police used to be like, like police should be one of those positions of such high regard and authority that like kids, like a bunch of kids want to grow up to be police officers. Cause like inherently they're supposed to protect and serve the people and they stop bad guys, right? That's, that's what their role is to do. Stop the bad guys from hurting people that are doing things the right way protect and serve the people, help them when they're in their, their, their worst situations and make their situations better. That's like, it, it, would, it would almost like people being pissed off at social workers all the time. Like social workers come in when it's a bad situation and they, they help make it better. You know what I mean? Police officers should be looked at in the same way. They literally have to put their lives on the line each and every day to protect people. But they're not looked at that way universally. And it's because there's, there are systems in place, the union where justice isn't made when police, when you have police do terrible things mm-hmm. and they're not held accountable for it. And so now it, it, it causes people to be just absolutely pissed off at the police in general. 
And so the police reform part, I think that part can be changed. The leverage that can be utilized for right now, what you with the, the eyes and ears and the dollars that are going to go into this, that part I think is the first the first ball that needs to drop. That's the first thing that needs to change. And then in the meantime, I think black people can make a concerted effort to try to internally with the power of your dollar, power of your community service, power of your um your collective talents to prop one another up to where you do have more decision makers in a position of power. Very true. Good points on all ends, man. Um, great discussion. Um, um, I think it's very, very educational. I hope people watching and listening enjoyed it. Um, and we're going to end it right there, man. But first off or last off, uh, do you have anything, any events you got going on you want to plug? I know you got the Wade, the Wade Smith Foundation. Anything going on with that right now? Um, we don't have any events planned right now. We just did a little uh, food distribution drive yesterday. Okay. Um, in partnership with uh, the Adrian Peterson Foundation. So Adrian Peterson was there, Alex Bregman, myself. I brought my two oldest daughters. Um, and then there was about, it was at O Athletic, and it was probably five or six, 10 other people there that oh, wow. were passing out food for um, students, middle school students in Spring Branch ISD. And so for the most part, it was, you know, kids, I mean, it was, it was families from Hispanic, Hispanic community that, we're in need, you know what I mean? Spring break branch uh, ISD, but you know, that was just the idea of going, giving an opportunity to give back to people that need it. Everybody knows we're in a pandemic. There's a lot of people out of work right now. There's a lot of people that, that are in need. And so um, we'll be looking to do some more of that going forward. And then our events will pick back up again. Once the school year starts, we just have to figure out what's going to happen with the school year so that we can do the things we do because we don't, you know, if it's virtual, if it's if it's hybrid, all that type of stuff, we're we're kind of in a in a limbo period right now of, yeah. of how we're gonna conduct things going forward. Because a lot of stuff we do is in elementary schools. A lot of things are are on site events with kids and all that type of stuff. So um, we're just trying to figure that stuff out as we go. I feel you. And for people wondering, if you want to know how you can support on a local level, the Wade Smith Foundation is a great organization to support. I see you guys doing real work out there. And yeah, if people, if you're too, if you're too bullish on donating to national organizations where you don't know where the money goes, you know what the Wade Smith Foundation is going to the right cause. So everybody yeah. support that if you can. And I will, I will say this. We did just do, we gave out two, nine scholarships for kids in Houston and Dallas, seven in Houston, two in Dallas for um, outgoing seniors with our Smitty scholarship program. So we had 15,000 here in Houston and 10,000 in, in Dallas. So $25,000 oh, wow. worth of scholarships went out. Um, we did, we did like, a, we had to do a Zoom uh, kind of award ceremony <laughs> for the kids, but we had an opportunity to talk to the kids, which was cool. Like, and they're not kids, they graduate from high school, they're young men and women that are going to like Duke University, going to UT, going to uh, St. Edwards going to U a couple of kids going to U of H. So that, that scholarship program has been going on since 2012 and we've given over $200,000 in scholarships oh, for wow. kids here in Houston and in, in Dallas. So 
Uh, we, we're continuing to do that. A lot of our funds go to that, and our, got the, our, that's one of our major programs, Smitty Scholarship Program, and then the other one is our Reading with the Pros, where we go out to elementary schools, and that's that's the one, and talk to them about the, the importance of literacy and education, and that's the one I was kind of talking about earlier that we're kind of in a, in a holding pattern trying to figure out how we're going to do if because we don't know how school's going to be in yeah. the next couple of months, so we have to figure that out. That's good to hear, though, man. That's really, really good to hear. I want to say something about the Zoom graduations, man. I feel so bad for the people that spent all them years in college for this year to, you know, do their graduation via Zoom. I was, um, it was a couple weeks ago, I was getting my hair done. And um, the girl that was doing my hair, her sister was graduating from Lamar. I want to say it's Lamar. um, Lamar High School. No, I think it was the college. Oh, Lamar College, yeah, yeah. There's both, yeah. but yeah, okay, Lamar College, yeah. yeah. But um, she was in a living room watching their graduation through Zoom. Wow. And uh, Or it was like YouTube or something like that. And she was dressed up, but I don't know. I feel like if I'm paying all that money, I want to at least walk across the stage. <laughs> and I, 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 I kind of felt so bad for her because me personally, I never walked across the stage. I didn't graduate high school. So, um, and of course I didn't go to college. Yeah. Like if I'm spending all that money, all that hard work, all them tears of, you know, getting these papers done and all this other stuff for me to just watch my name scroll down real quick Mm -hmm. (laughs) on a, on a video, (laughs) like, I I don't know. I would be a little upset. I I get you, but and I'll be honest, man, and it's just my take. I, I think it gets romanticized if you haven't been through it. But I think graduations suck. <laughs> I think they're extremely boring and sit Especially through. Especially if your last name is like S. Yes. My last name starts with an R, so I have to R, wait a yes. mad long time. Yes. I went yes. to my high school and college graduation, and I could have not went to either and been fine, I felt. You yeah. know, you, you take the pictures, you get the cap and gown, you get the diploma. That's all that matters. The graduation itself kind of sucks, man. Honestly, you're sitting in a big old, you're cramped up next to people. It, it's very uncomfortable. It, it's more for your parents, honestly, than it is. Yeah, for you. I think it's so. worse. I, I think it's worse as a visitor because I went to a couple graduations where, <laughs> yeah. you know, the last name is Williams. <laughs> yeah. So you stayed yeah. there for a long time. Yes. Yeah. And you know you don't know anybody else. And most likely you probably up in the bleachers. So you yeah. can barely see. So I, I think it's more boring for that part, unless you're the parent and you just decided. But it's for the parents. It's like, oh I my think, baby. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it. They had to put they had to put a lot into getting you to that point. So mm-hmm. it's for yeah. them. I, I will say this though, when you when you're at that graduation though. That's like your one opportunity, especially if you like graduating high school or graduating college. A lot of times people split up and go to different places. And that's like your last opportunity to to be with your people. That's true. Um, before you go your separate ways. And so that part about it, I, I know it really sucks for for a lot of these kids that um, didn't get to have an in-person graduation. So I can I can definitely see that side of it. But besides that, yeah, the actual ceremony, it's not like it's not like life changing. It's not like the valedictorians gonna get up there and say something that sticks with you forever. Yeah. Like that just that rarely happens. But that idea of being able to see your people that one last time before you split out and go away, or that part of it, um, that's the part of it that I remember from our graduations. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I just, mine were just extremely boring. I, I really yeah. <laughs> had a bad time. Yeah. But uh, I was actually excited being at my wife's graduation 
Oh, really? I, I felt like I, I I played a big part in helping her with shit, too. Yeah. I remember them nights where, you know, she needed something done, and I'm sitting there trying to type and do all type of other shit, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So <laughs> I felt like I graduated <laughs> lightweight. So no, that's dope. walking across the hey, stage. we in this together, there. baby. Yeah. <laughs> we become one. We graduating, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of mad my last name wasn't on it, but... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's part of my y'all married. So her last name was a G. So she went up no, there pretty quick. No, this was before we got married. Oh, OK. This was back when I lived in Cleveland. Oh, damn. No, she still got Davis on there. But, you know, yeah, that's still I quick. Can... So that's why yeah. I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was it was kind of a, a relief for her to walk across that stage because she spent more time in college than she should have. Because, you yeah. know, how some people go through that extra year where they got. Yeah. Be- fella class so they got to go a whole nother year so she went through that whole stage so it was like a relief for her to you know walk across that stage i feel you i feel you <laughs> yeah i mean the, the graduation thing sucks but i think you know the, what matters is a diploma and where you go after that so i mean that's the main important thing and, and the fact that it's cool that they at least tried something with the zoom thing i mean yeah it's kind of whack but they could have just said, here's your diploma, and that's it. So at least they tried something. Yeah. Got to respect that. Yeah. It matters what you, what you, what you, the, the relationships that you made and the connection you made while you were in school. Exactly. How you utilize those going right. forward in order for you to, to achieve whatever career or dream you want to achieve. That's the most important thing. You can't take that away by not having a ceremony. So very true. Um, you know, but yeah, this, I mean, it sucks, bro. It, it's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things going on these days just inherently sucks. Like, Major League Baseball this year is going to suck if it's 48 games. Yeah. That's, that's what it's going to suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> NBA, it's going to be weird, these eight games. I'm excited for it, but it's it's probably going to be weird. It's not going to be the same. The, the, the crowds, it's not going to be – It's gonna, everything's going to be at the same damn stadium. Mm-hmm. Gonna be bringing Did y'all see they're trying to use uh, 2K crowd noise? Did y'all see yeah, that? They're probably going to try to pipe in some crowd noise. Yeah, I, I heard some reports about that. NBA 2K. <laughs> I feel like they could – uh, if an arena can hold 20,000 people, I feel like they should be able to get 5,000 people in there and you still socially distance. Like, why I, you do I had a quick question real quick before we end, because we uh, I asked Charles Amenahu this last time we had a podcast, uh, but he's a LeBron fan. So I feel like his opinion was kind of tainted because LeBron fans see this as a time for him to get another ring. Uh-huh. But you being a, a, a professional athlete, would you really respect uh, the team that wins under these conditions in the quarantine neutral stadium where there's really no pressure in, in clutch situations with crowd noise and such, like, would you respect whoever wins this championship as a legit non asterisk championship? I think it should have an asterisk, but it should be like a, a gold star. Cause if you win a championship this year, that means like you're supposed to be able to play like the Lakers and the Clippers, they are supposed to be able to play at Staples center. And everybody has to come through Staples Center to win a championship. Now they got to go on the road in a neutral site and win when throughout the season they earned the opportunity to have people come through them to win a championship. So if LeBron and them win a championship this year, I think they should get a gold star for it. That's like a bonus. Any, anybody, whoever wins a championship this year, I think they should get extra date. They did it through wow. a pandemic. I mean, think about like Utah. If Utah Jazz somehow messed around and won a championship this year, after Rudy Gobert was the reason they shut the damn league down. <laughs> and if they could overcome all that internal strife because 
Mitchell wasn't messing with him because he like, man, he was all of them, them jokes licking on stuff. Now we all sick. Now the league messed up. They go over, overcome that and still win, and then win a championship. I got to respect them. And, and then people didn't have to come to Utah. Like, think about that. Utah is one of the yeah. places you don't want to go to and play. Instead, <laughs> you, you in Orlando. So it's there, there's no home field or home court advantage. I give more respect for whoever wins it this year because the, the season was basically almost done anyway. You know what I mean? They're going to, by the time the season ends this year, they might miss a total of like 10 games. 10 games ain't shit. You know what I mean? So if you're telling me you played 70 games in the season and then you did the normal 4-4-4 playoff format and you had to do it in a neutral site and win it, respect. I mean, respect because you were able to pull it off in that situation. I guess I see your point, but I also think about how LeBron and the Lakers are a very veteran team, older players. They might have been gassed out deep in the playoff run, and they basically got another offseason, and now they're starting up again. So I don't but, know, man. But if Okay, so if they win it just because they got rest, they still were the best team, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were the best team because everybody else is getting rest too. It's not like they're getting rest and other teams ain't getting rest. That's fair. You're just basically saying it's like, all right, you know, at full strength, we're the best team in the league. Well, that's what you, that's the champion is supposed to be that team. The team that's the, the best team at full strength, that's supposed to be the champion. Now, of course, in real life, you got to deal with injuries, you got to deal yeah. with all that type of shit, and that might affect, affect things. But for hell, that's just, that's just part of the business. So I, like I said, I, I give extra points, extra credit for if you win a championship this year because you had you had to have that much more discipline to practice on your own. You know, maybe you were in a rhythm and playing well, and then you had to stop, and then now you had to rev back up again, do it preseason, yeah. all that. So I think I think you get more respect if you win anything this year. Now, would that be more of a taint if somebody like the Rockets make it to the finals? Because the Rockets are known for getting tired during the playoffs with their style of play. And what, like you say, everybody is rested now. If so the, just if the Rockets make it to the finals, bro, that means that they beat both teams from LA most likely. That's legit. Like that, that means they would have probably had to beat like Denver, LA, LA. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? That's legit. Like you can't yeah, take see, nothing away from them if they were able to pull that off. They're not going to, but that was, to me, that would be. Yeah, and see, legit. I think. And see, I think the Rockets are a great team. I think they're up there. But with their style of play, I feel like they get tired real fast. Like, uh, the way they play throughout a whole season, I feel like by the time they get to the playoffs, James Harden is burnt out. That's true. Or, you know, you you had Chris Paul who was hurt, stuff like that. But I'm wondering with them, you know, resting this long like this, I feel like the Rockets could come out, you know, strong and could make a, a big run. So I think I think it kind of benefit them. Oh, I think it definitely benefits them that they had this time off. And I also feel like the a few years ago when they lost to the Golden State when Chris Paul got hurt, they were the better team. Like they created a team to beat the Golden State Warriors, but I don't think they would have won a championship that year. I think they would have lost because wouldn't LeBron and them in the championship that year, I think they would have lost to LeBron because it's a better matchup for them. You know what I mean? So they would have made it to the championship, but they would have lost to LeBron and them. And that was 2016, right? That was 16? Uh, what year was 16? that? I thought that was like 18. Oh, okay. Okay. Wasn't that, wasn't that one of the KD years? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because KD was there. 
Come on, Ryan. You supposed to know this, man. When, oh, when, my bad. I just got a text, man. I, I lost my train of thought, dog. Okay. So. Remember, remember <laughs> when? Uh, remember when uh, Chris Paul got hurt? That was 2018, right? That was yeah. That was 18. Yes. 2018, and, and they, yeah. So Golden yeah. State had they had KD. They had they had the All Star team at that time, mm-hmm. but the Rockets had built a team to beat that team, and they had they had them beat. They yep. just lost their second best player. And they I'm couldn't. shocked you said that um, LeBron probably would have won against the Rockets that year, too. Yeah, I don't think so. I feel so. like a lot of Rockets fans would disagree. Why? Nick Wright, who is the biggest Lakers fan, or LeBron fan, period, I think he said that if the Rockets made it to the finals, they probably would have beat Cleveland that year. I, so I, I, I don't know, man. I kind of disagree with it that. Was, it was LeBron, Kyrie, they had Kevin Love. They had what to call it when he was still good. The, who was the power forward that used to mess with the Kardashian? I can't think of his name. Tristan Thompson. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had they had a squad, though. And they kind of swept through the East too. The the thing yeah. was they just couldn't get past Golden State. There's too many superstars on that. Because that 2018 year, what was the series? What I can't remember. What was the series um, in the finals? Was it like four two or four one? 2018. Like, yeah, 2018. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was 4-1. I just think it's a matchup thing because LeBron and them was a more physical, powerful team, right? Golden State was not as physical team, but they could shoot shoot the lights out, and they had a bunch of kind of perimeter players. But the Rockets matched up well with that. They had a bunch of physical guys that was – was chasing the guys around and beating them up. They were beating up the Golden State Warriors physically, like beating them up. Yeah. But you couldn't physically beat up Cleveland. That's That was the kind of game that they would be able to play. You weren't going to physically beat up LeBron James. You could physically beat up KD, but you can't physically beat up LeBron James. He's too strong for that. So I, I think Cleveland would have won that, that series. Yeah. I don't know. Rockets were tough that year, man. If Chris Paul doesn't go out, then, yeah, I think it might damn near be a sweep, but that's you think they would have swept Cleveland? That's a, that's it it might have been close, man. It might have been I, close. I like, go back and look at the teams. I just remember <laughs> thinking to myself. Because Kevin Love was out that like, year, right? Rockets, my whole thought process is the nah. Rockets mess around and beat Golden State and then lose in the finals. That's what I thought. Mm. When it when it was game six and they were going to win that game, I was like, they're going to they gonna beat, they're going to make it to the finals and lose to damn Cleveland. That's going to suck. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think it would have been close. If not, I think the Rockets could have taken it. But that, that that's beyond the point. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was even talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the quarantine champ thing, I would respect it. If the, if the Rockets win, I respect it. If anybody else wins, I won't. But I will tell you, if the Rockets win it nationwide, they will not respect it. Because every Rockets, every Houston championship, think about it. National media puts an asterisk on every Houston championship we have. Two years of the Rockets winning it, oh, uh, Jordan was retired. Astros win it, oh, they cheated. If the Rockets win it this year, it will be seen as an asterisk because it was a quarantine season with the the pandemic going on. Trust me, the nation will not respect a Rockets championship. They don't respect anything but a LeBron championship and a Lakers championship. Trust me. Yeah. They're gonna say they're gonna say Harden had time to slim down. Get yes, <laughs> but he actually man. did it though. You got to give him credit. Other people had opportunities to do that too, and they're gonna if they say that they can say that. But I, I wouldn't care 
And it's easy for me to say I'm not a Rockets fan, but I wouldn't care. Like nobody can tell me nothing about my championship uh, run that, that the Mavericks won with Dirk and with Nowitzki in, in 2011. Like you can't yeah. tell me shit about my Mavericks. You can't tell me nothing. I don't care what you say. Oh, Miami, that was their first year together. I, I don't care. They swept the Mavericks beat. They swept the Lakers who had won the championship mm-hmm. the year before. They swept their ass. They beat, I think, uh, what's uh, Oklahoma City with Katie, Harden, and Westbrook. Beat them, yeah. I believe it was 4-2. And I forgot the other series we won, as, but it was against another good-ass team. We, we ran through all of them and then beat the, the super team, Miami. You can't tell me shit. So people can say what they want to say. <laughs> and they, they're going to say something, but at the end of the day, you got the ring. Same thing with the Astros, same with them with the Rockets. The Rockets, to me, in 94, you can legitimately say if Jordan stays, I could see someone's argument of saying, yeah, the, the, the Bulls would have won it that year. But ain't no way in hell the Bulls would have beat the Rockets in 95. The Bulls yeah. team in 95 didn't have Horace Grant. Horace Grant ass was in Orlando. In 94, he was there. In 94, Tony Kukos was there. And they would have mm-hmm. still had Jordan. To me, that team beats the Rockets. It, it would have been a great matchup, but I think that team beats the Rockets. But if you, the year forward, you take away Horace Grant, they had guys like Judd Bushler and Steve Kerr that weren't quite to the level of some of the guys in the first three championships. I, I don't think that team stands a chance against the Rockets. And you see what the Rockets did to fucking Orlando. Yep. So how's their asterisk on that championship? It doesn't make any sense to me. So when somebody, if I'm a Rockets fan and somebody say, I'm going to break it down to that and say, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Kick rocks. We got the ring. I agree. What it is. Yeah. I agree on all fronts, but this yeah. is how they think. Yeah. Uh-huh. And after watching that Jordan doc, I don't think Jordan would have won four in a row at any point because he was gassed at the after the third championship each time. That year, the third championship from both times, he was super gassed. So I don't even know if he would um he it, it was possible he could have made it to the finals, but I don't think he just would have one off four in a row like that. When was the last time we seen somebody hit four in a row like that? I mean, even, back he, back with like the Celtics back in the day. Yeah, Bill Russell. And even, yeah, and even if you look at the Gold State Warriors, I felt like that was one of the best teams ever, and they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. They they inherently were softer though, so it was easy. And, and, and they depended on outside shooting too much, so it's easier for them to lose one. But I, I will say this about your idea of them winning four straight. I think they could have won four straight either one. The reason why with the second set, I think they could have won four straight was because there was a lockout that year and the league started, the season started late as hell. And so he would, they would have time to recover from winning the championship the year before. And they would have had to play the San Antonio Spurs and the Spurs to me, they had a good team that year. They won the championship, take nothing away from them, but that Spurs team wouldn't have beat the Bulls if, if the Bulls were still together because you would have taken – because Steve Kerr-ass wouldn't have been in San Antonio. He was a key piece to that San Antonio championship. He wouldn't have been there. Uh, you would have brought back the gang again. That 98 team could have won it. And then I just talked earlier before why I think the Bulls in 94 could have won it against uh, the Rockets because the Rockets team in 94 didn't have Clyde Drexler. They they didn't have him yet. So to me, you know, you, you give me a Bulls team that has – you're adding cool coach and you still have bring everybody else back, but then the Rockets don't have Clyde Dressler like they did in 95. You know, I think they could have won it either way. 
But they know no way in hell they would have won it the next that 95 year. No shot. That <laughs> yeah. team was trash, dog. They was like in fourth <laughs> place when he came back during the regular season. They weren't good. Yeah, it was, I think it was even surprising they even got to the playoffs. Huh? I think it was even surprising they even made it to the playoffs that year, right? I can't I can't remember what they were the seeding was. I think they were probably like a fourth seed. Because uh I don't oh, think they were a fourth seed. Or the Rockets. No, the Bulls. Oh, the Rockets were like a fifth no, or sixth. No, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the Bulls. But they just got they got hot. They had got hot. And they, I mean, the Rockets was a, just a great ass team. They yeah. had one player that you couldn't stop getting everybody that were I mean, excellent role players. It was like the Mavericks in 2011. They had one dominant player that you couldn't stop, and then everybody else was just great in their roles. And they had a great team chemistry. Like I I like the Rockets when they won them championship, man. They just, yeah. you know. See, even a Dallas brother can give Houston love. So if he yeah. can, then all you other national people who be hating on the Rockets and Houston teams yeah. can. Tell the too, national so. people to kick rocks, man. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't know what's going on. they don't know what's going yeah. down in, in H-Town, baby. Yeah, they really don't. Uh, so, yes, the, uh, again, this is a, could be a whole nother podcast, but we we going to put it into it now. Two, 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 you can chop this up into three podcasts, bro. Three oh, man, we might have to. Might have to. Uh, but, man, great, great, great discussions. We always love having you on, Way. You always break a, a great perspective, and we really enjoy having you on. So thank you for joining us again. As we already said, check out the Way Smith Foundation uh, and support it however you can. Uh, Figgy, you got anything going on, man? New Figgy's, Figgy's World episode coming or something? Uh, yes, um, one dropped on Wednesday, and uh, I pretty much took people behind the scenes of Sports Radio 610 on how, how I make drops. Okay. So, um, yeah, check it out. It's on YouTube. You can search Figgy's World on the uh, Sports Radio 610 YouTube. And um, yeah, man, that's about it. I'm going to bump my DJ Screw mixtape. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, so thank you everybody who watched and supports the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we stream this episode on Twitter, so check out the Gems and Juice Twitter account and you'll see the live video. You can see uh, Way Smith's fancy NFL clock better. I just realized that's a clock when I saw the minute hands going by. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, I get that's it now. A clock. 12 years, that's baby. clean, 12 that's years. clean, man. Yeah, oh, uh, okay. So, those, uh, those helmets are all the years you played with each team, yeah. Oh, so, wow. Like, so like the 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 twelve o'clock that was my twelfth year league, but my rookie year, second year, this is harder to do. Third year, so on and so forth. Okay, that's dope. I didn't realize that, man. That's dope. Yeah, that's a cool concept. Like game worn helmets. Oh shit. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, that's dope. a dope concept, man. That's <laughs> cool as hell. So yeah, you can check that out on a Twitter page. You see our live video. Shout out to Jasmine. She couldn't be with us today, but but she'll be back next week probably. And everybody, y'all stay safe. Remember, support black businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> RIP George Floyd, RIP DJ Screw. I'll keep it real.